Y'all ready? You're last. No. Good evening. Williamson County Commissioner meeting. Uh, as a reminder, please silence your cell phones. Uh, we do have a lot on the agenda tonight, so uh, just a few ground rules. Just remember that uh, uh, during these proceedings, there's no cheering or booing, no clapping. Um, think of it as a court of law or a, a house of worship. Be respectful for those who are speaking. Uh, when you do come to the podium to speak, there'll be a limited amount of time, and we want to make sure that everybody gets every bit of that time uh, to say what they want to say. Um, I don't usually go this far into uh, the ground rules, but uh, just know I've, I've been on your side, and sometimes it's daunting. It can be very daunting to look at 24 faces who are not answering back and not speaking. Our rules don't allow us to answer questions or ask you questions or speak back. So it may look like we're being aloof, but I promise you we're not. We're listening. And to me, the most important part of the night is the part where the citizens get to speak. And I want every citizen to be able to speak, everyone who signed up to be able to say what they came to say. And you can help in that uh, by making sure that everybody gets the silence that's required so we can hear them and understand them and, and make sure that, uh, that their point gets across. Um, the first item on the agenda is always the invocation and pledge. And tonight that will be presented by District 2. The invocation will be given by Commissioner Betsy Hester. The pledge will be given by Commissioner Judy Herbert. If you will, please rise. It's your name, for you are holy, and I ask for your help and your direction and your guidance and your wisdom this evening. I praise your name, and I especially ask you to be with our police officers, our deputies, with our EMTs, our ambulance drivers, and I ask you to be with our military personnel as they serve stateside and as they serve all over the world. Please give us your help this evening, Lord, with decisions we must make. Please help us do them with your direction. In his name, amen. amen. Next item on the agenda is the roll call. If all the commissioners have signed in, if you will press your present button, letting us know that you're here. Record the roll, please, Mr. Whidbey. 24 present. Zero absent. Everyone is here, and the next item on the agenda is approval of the minutes. Uh, we'll entertain a motion from the screen. We've got a proper motion made by Commissioner Tunnicliffe, seconded by Commissioner Torres. Any questions or corrections to the minutes? Seeing none, if we're ready to vote, if you're in favor of approving the minutes from the last meeting, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. 
those minutes are approved. Next, we have the citizens' communications. So our rules allow up to 30 minutes, and that is to be divided by the number of speakers who have signed up. We have 26 speakers to, that have signed up, so if my calculations are correct, that would be a minute and 15 seconds each. When you come to the podium, please start off by giving us your name and the town that you live in. I won't start the clock until after you've done that. And then you'll have a minute and 15 seconds. When you have about 15 seconds, seconds left, I'll mention you know, 15 more seconds, and that'll be your cue to kind of wrap up the sentence that you're on. And uh, we appreciate you all being here, and we appreciate all those who have come to speak. And we always take these in the order in which they were signed up. And the first one I have on the list is Mr. Frank Limpus. In January, three citizens shared with you their Citizens Truth Review, documenting our Election Commission's use of misinformation to sway you to approve purchasing voting machines. They're doing it again. And my email to each of you yesterday documented the absolute minimal research that the Election Commission did to the, about the elections group. I've learned that Jonathan Dudas talked with someone at the group and appeared to trust two documents they produced. When asked by me last Thursday what elections group clients he had interviewed to gain an accurate picture of the group's performance, Duda refused, or couldn't, answer me. No names, no companies, no references. More than working with a partisan firm, why can't our election commission collaborate with election officials from the 19 Tennessee counties, including Murray County, that have implemented hand-marked paper ballots and save the county $100,000 of taxpayer money? The elections group has a huge conflict of interest and is not going to tell us anything smart people don't already know. 15 seconds. Please reject this re resolution. Thank you. Next we have... Again, we'll ask you to hold your applause. Next, we have Don Buer or Beaver. Beeler. Okay. Sorry about that. Good evening, Don Beeler and Franklin. I want to first commend the Williamson County Election Commission for considering hand market handmark paper ballots, which are safe and easy to use. My concern is with how the Election Commission wants to go about it and the $100,000 price tag for a feasibility study. The Chicago firm they plan to use, the elections group, is heavily tilted toward Democratic partners, clients, and affiliations. The same party that tells us there's no problems with our elections. One of the uh, claims to fame of the firm's president is that he ran elections in Cook County, Illinois. Now, I spent 18 years as an independent consultant. I've written many proposals similar to what the elections group submitted. I don't believe that we need a SWOT analysis or an analysis of the current voting systems or out-of-state entities engaging with stakeholders on this project as they've included in their proposal. Instead, I'd like to suggest to you this evening that the Election Commission form a bipartisan group of Williamson County residents. 15 seconds. Visit Murray, Shelby, and other Tennessee counties that are using paper ballots and provide recommendations for what's best for us. I don't believe we need to spend $100,000 on an out-of-state group when we have capable, fair-minded people right here in Williamson County to figure this out. Thank you. Next, we have Bryce Lukanoff. Hope I pronounced that correctly. Good 
Hi, my name is Bruce Lukanoff. I'm from Brentwood, and I'm speaking regarding Resolution 2-24-9. I would urge a no vote. I believe the study can be done in-house at a very low cost simply by contacting the counties that are already using hand-marked, machine-scannable paper ballots. Secondly, the cost of this study has more than tripled from an initial estimate of $30,000 to now $100,000. And thirdly, if it must be farmed out to a third-party company, why a partisan company from Chicago, Illinois? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Next, we have uh, Andrew Beeler. Andrew Beeler, Franklin, Tennessee. Thank you for the opportunity to address the feasibility study for hand-marked ballots. As our county is already a staggering billion dollars in debt, I believe it would be fiscally prudent to look for ways to cut expenditures. Hiring the elections group for $100,000 sends our local tax dollars to a company in Chicago and increases our debt. <clears throat> Instead, I believe the capable citizens of Williamson County who have a stake in the elections could consult with some of our 19 Tennessee counties that both understand Tennessee election law and already use hand-marked ballots in various forms. If 19 other counties can figure out the ins and outs of paper ballots, surely Williamson County can do the same. Thank you. Thank you. Next we have Michael Cordobain. Cordobine. Yeah, close. Yeah. Hello, I'm Mike Cordobine. I'm from Franklin, Tennessee. I am here to express my concerns about the proposal to the election group to do a feasibility study for hand-marked paper ballots in Williamson County elections. The election group highlights in their promotional material that their team has expertise in a primary focus on cyber cybersecurity, system software, audits, election administration. The focus of on cybersecurity and system software from this vendor seems to be not aligned with Williamson County Election Board's stated goal of analyzing voting with hand-marked paper ballots. The lack of alignment with stated purpose of the study and the expense of $100,000 without any competing proposal should make the County Commission desire further investigation before approving the employment of the election, election group. The study methodology listed on their website is initiated via phone and Zoom call process with unnamed partners and no performance guarantees. That makes the price tag seem unreasonable. And then I took the liberty of contacting the Minister of Elections, Murray County, Chris McKinley. Beckins. To discuss the process they went through and any costs, and I would recommend that we establish a citizen committee to go down there and meet with them. Next, we have Janet Curtis. I had sent a letter to the uh, all the commissioners 
with my concern over the growth plan um, and asking you to not vote no for that. I feel that there are too many issues, infrastructure, safety, um, schools, all kinds of issues that need to be addressed before we get uh, move forward with the growth plan. Thank you. We have Dana Frick. Hi, my name is Dana Frick, 1527 Indian Meadows Drive, unincorporated Williamson County. I would like to start with a quote from the beloved Dolly Parton. It's hard to be a diamond in a rhinestone world. I would like to respectfully request that our county commissioners reject the growth map as proposed as there are legitimate concerns that the subsequent development by Thompson Station will not be supportive of the Williamson County 2040 Comprehensive Land Use Plan a plan which states that Williamson County desires efficient, strategic, and high-quality growth, growth that is compatible with existing neighborhoods and coordinated with a sound, logical pattern of development. To accept this growth map as proposed is allowing the town of Thompson Station to cherry-pick land development based on their needs for wastewater drip fields. It is laying the groundwork for suboptimal development of land without regard for the demands on all county infrastructure, safety of surrounding residents, or the smelly impact of wastewater drip fields. It's a prioritization to support the needs of Thompson Station at the detriment of adjacent unincorporated Williamson County residents. 15 seconds. The town of Thompson Station was incorporated in the fall of 1990, and in that time span of 33 years has had five different mayors. My neighborhood of Indian Meadows began just three years later. At least 18 original families still live in Indian Meadows. Um. There has been more stability in this small neighborhood than in Thompson Station. Laura Turner. Laura Turner, Franklin, Tennessee. Good evening, everyone. It's a familiar adage that the squeaky wheel gets the grease, so I'm back again to advocate for our county's legacy trees and woodlands. An adage is a short statement expressing a general truth. Another adage is you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And Joni Mitchell used this adage in her big yellow taxi lyrics. They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. They took all the trees and put them in a tree museum and charged the people a dollar and a half just to see them. While this seems far-fetched, it may be prophetic. We weren't very worried about carbon footprints back in 1970. The Arbor Day Foundation says that saving heritage trees extends a link across generations. It helps develop values for things beyond the material, values almost of a spiritual nature. This is one of the reasons I'm trying to save Francis, the largest 150-year-old male pecan tree in Tennessee living at St. Paul's Church. Trees, particularly large ones, absorb and store carbon dioxide. Clear-cutting releases carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. The ecological impact of our county's tree loss adds up, causing problems with their stormwater runoff, wildlife habitat loss, erosion, loss of legacy trees living hidden for seconds. generations in our woodlands. Am I done? Okay, um, uh, I respectfully request that county leaders create advisory group dedicated to initiating measures to identify and protect our one of our county's most vulnerable Thank and you. valuable resources, our legacy trees. Now we have Peggy Kingsbury. <laughs> Thank you, commissioners, for your service. Uh, you will be asked to discuss the feasibility study for voting. What's your name in town? Oh, I'm sorry. Peggy Kingsbury Franklin. 
TEG, the elections group you will be asked to fund for a study that you requested, is a firm that focuses on strengthening democracy and improving trustworthiness of our elections. TEG principles represent both sides of the aisle and are a bipartisan organization. Some will claim TEG partners with biased leftist organizations naming states united democracy as one. <coughs> That's interesting because this organization includes as advisors Donald Ayers, former Deputy Attorney General under George H.W. Bush, Michael Chertoff of the George W. Bush administration, Tom Coleman, a former Republican U.S. representative, and Trey Grayson, a Republican and former Kentucky Secretary of State, among others. Additionally, the request of those seeking exclusive use of handmarked paper ballots is to end early voting and to close the voting centers. For they know that handmarked ballots do not work in a county our size, which is not Murray County. In 2020, 80% of our voters used early voting and 35% of election day voters were uh, cast in vote centers not closest to the voters' <coughs> home. Many citizens rely on early voting and the use of vote centers. Our election commission employees, commissioners, and volunteer poll workers do an excellent job, um, and our citizens are pleased with our <coughs> elections. Thank you. Thank you. Henry Hafner. Mr. Henry Hafner. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, Henry Hafner, 2795 Al Hollow Road, Franklin. Uh, I wish to speak in favor of Commissioner Herbert's resolution 24 uh, 2-2415 to reject the Williamson County growth plan. Uh, I'm, I'm here because the overwhelming majority of the residents in the Owl Hollow and Duplex communities have asked to be removed from Spring Hill's urban growth boundary expansion as it currently stands. The city of Spring Hill is attempting to expand too far and too fast into a rural community that does not want them. Uh, the property owners, like myself, mostly generational farmers, uh, we've spent the vast majority of last year gathering signatures, attending meetings such as this one, and speaking. As we requested to be removed, and none of us were removed. In fact, their uh, current proposal is actually an expansion of what they originally asked for. <coughs> Us that y'all, the members of this committee, will do your duty and protect Williamson County's rural citizens from an inconsiderate municipality. Please reject the county growth plan as recommended by Commissioner Herbert. Thank you very much. Uh, Carl Allison. Carl Allison of uh, Franklin. Um, I'm asking you guys to vote no on the Williamson County elections um, handmark paper ballots for $100,000. And uh, why is that? Well. When I first came to you guys in May of 2023, I showed you a big poster, and it showed you that 68% of the United States uses handmarked paper ballots. So that tells you there's plenty of evidence out there. I'd also like to make some corrections that people that want handmarked paper ballots don't necessarily are against um, early voting. Okay, those, those are two different things. As well as that there's plenty of counties out there that are much bigger than Williamson County that do use handmarked paper ballots. And it's also a confirmation that handmarked paper ballots with optical scanners is what we're asking for. So 68%, the second thing is the $1.2 billion that we're in debt. I'm asking for more priority and more time of this commission to spend time on how to remove that. So 
how do you, how, so I think you should do the same thing with the WCC. Get them to get creative. 15 seconds. Get them to get creative because I myself, I called other counties. I called election commissioners and you know what they gave me? They gave me SOPs on how to run handmarked paper ballots plus, and, and plus optical scanners, and I did it for free. The other thing is that the hybrid system is not what you need, okay? It's two systems that make it more difficult. Sorry. That's time. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Bill Petty. Hey, I live in Franklin. Uh, I'm gonna make mine really sweet, short and sweet. Uh, we're over a billion dollars in debt, is that correct, uh, as a county? And we want to spend $100,000 to tell us something we already know. I think it might be a better idea if we took some of that money and did a really good study on 5G towers, because I know that's going to be a topic tonight you're going to be voting on. And there's a lot of confusion out there about it. There's a lot of different arguments from both sides. And I think we need to settle this thing, because the 5G could have ramifications for years to come, and we don't really know what the ramifications are because it hasn't been around long enough. And I think that's an area we should really study and really dig into so we make a good and proper decision. Thank you, Mr. Petty. Next, we have Kim Easton. <clears throat> I'm uh, Kim Easton Franklin. Um, I just wanted to say that I was very much in favor of having paper ballots and doing a feasibility study, but knowing that we're more than double over the estimated cost. And also um, the fact that there was one person who gave us a bid, nobody who asked a contractor to come and give them a bid for a house and there's only one bidder would go with that when it's well over your budget. So I, I ask you to please vote no on the feasibility study. Andrew Caro. Hope I got that right. Manju Caro, and I live in Franklin. And I'm here to comment on the cell towers and 5G issue. And it's my opinion that putting up cell towers and 5G small cells is a terrible idea. Fact. Cell towers and 5G small cells cause cancer, heart disease, diabetes, neurological diseases, and many other illnesses. Fact, this will decrease property values. What is the goal? Should we be putting health in front of corporate interests? Hopefully, but often that's not the case. Our goal should be happy, healthy, strong residents. What future are we paving for our children? The issue shouldn't be the 1,500 foot distance. The issue is, there's not, they shouldn't even have the towers. And certainly towers should not be in residential areas or places where children go. And Mayor Ken Moore, I have documentation in my email. In 2020, he told me we will seconds. not be putting 5G in residential areas. And clearly that's not what's going on but it is damaging to everyone's health and we are in a healthcare crisis in America. And just that it's being voted on for the distance um, shows your lack of awareness. Next we have Mark Wani. Wani? Again, I apologize. All right. <laughs> Heard many times. 
My name is Mark Waney. I am from Franklin. I live currently in unincorporated Williamson County, as well in the Indian Meadows subdivision. Uh, I sent you all an email recently regarding the uh, proposed urban growth boundaries, and I'm definitely opposed to that. I've lived here over 27 years, and uh, part of the reason we chose to live in the county is for the county environment. And yet, towns like Spring Hill and Thompson Station continue to expand and grow way past their infrastructure that they have, which is one service, sewer. And they don't even provide that. What they're providing are drip fields. And if you live in an area next to a drip field, if you would like to come visit me some morning or some evening, you will know what I'm talking about. So I'm definitely opposed to this. I want us, you all, and the folks that live here in Williamson County to have the life that we asked for when we moved here many years ago. Thank you. Next up is Dorena Smith. Hi, I'm Dorinda Carlisle Smith, second generation Williamson County resident, um, and I'm asking that you vote no on the $100,000 um, proposal for the study, the study of paper ballots. Um, I am a member of the League of Women Voters, and our goal as a county should be that all of our residents, all of our citizens vote in elections, and we should be a, a, against anything like paper ballots that might impede our residents to vote. Thank you. Next we have Amelia Shaw. Amelia Shaw. And I'm speaking in, reg or, um, in regards to the 5G towers on behalf of my dad, Robert Shaw. We live in Brentwood. Um, okay, quote, I've been a federally credited radio frequency engineer since 1984. I'm an expert witness recognized in Colorado on the subject of RF emissions. Unlike gamma rays, x-rays, and nuclear decay, radio waves are non-ionizing, meaning that they are incapable of stripping electrons from atoms and thus are incapable of changing DNA. Because radio waves cannot change DNA, there is no risk of them being oncogenic, which is cancer-causing. Specific radio frequencies and power levels create molecular vibrations and, as a result, heat biological tissues. This is how microwave ovens work. To be clear, a very specific combination of frequencies, power levels, and distances are required for damaging to occur biological tissues. It is important to note that RF energies from a mobile device close to a person operating at low power is 10 times that of a cell tower only 50 feet away. If you remember one fact from my statement, please let it be this. This is an ironic twist to the offset resolution. When cell towers can't receive mobile devices clearly, mobile devices automatically increase their power. Seconds. If this Fast mobile devices would necessarily increase their power to reach a tower 1,500 feet away. Multiply that by the number of mobile devices in a classroom, and the total RF is multiplied by a like factor. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Next, we have Laura Say. Laura Say. Thank you. I'm Laura C., a resident of Franklin. We do not have an election integrity problem in Williamson County, Tennessee. We do not need to change our existing balloting system. We do not have any evidence of vote tampering or miscounting at any time in living memory. 
The county just invested in upgrading our electronic voting systems. To throw those away would be a fiscally irresponsible waste of taxpayer dollars. You are voting tonight on whether to allocate $100,000 to a feasibility study on hand balloting. This would be an irresponsible waste of taxpayer resources on a completely unnecessary proposal. I know your job as county commissioners is difficult. You're required to listen to many points of view and to make difficult decisions every month. I want to remind you, however, that all, although all viewpoints should be heard in this chamber, not all ideas need be taken seriously. That some members of our community believe things about balloting that are not true does not mean that the rest of us have to pretend that their claims are valid. We are not required to pretend that Williamson County's voting systems are in trouble. We are not required to take seriously false claims that seek to divide and undermine the institutions and public servants who do a wonderful job of delivering free and fair elections year after year after year. Um, Please reject these divisive actions. Thank you. Thank you. Now we have Tracy Goodspeed. resident of Franklin. I'm a resident of Watkins Creek, a retired educator and a local realtor. I've spoken before and I'd like to encourage you and thank you for passing this amendment tonight with a 1500 foot cell tower distancing from schools. We really do need to consider further distancing from residences as well. I think we all agree that these shouldn't be near schools. Well, they shouldn't be near homes either. I encourage you to find a way to protect Williamson County residents, not only for reasons of health concerns, but also for the concerns of property value. The current setback of 50 feet is honestly unacceptable. I ran comps for a housing community that has a tower within eyesight of the homes and the homes that had the tower within sight sold for significantly less and, sorry, and took significantly longer to sell. When other homes sold in under a week, the homes within sight of the tower took over six months. And when I say significantly less money, meaning $200,000 to $600,000 less. A cell tower absolutely has a direct impact on property value. I don't think any homeowner in Franklin would find a cell tower close to their property a positive. 15 seconds. So I ask you, would you like a cell tower within eyesight of your home? Probably not. Thank you. Jeff? Uh, Mr. Jeff Goodspeed. Jeff Goodspeed, Franklin. Uh, I thank you for uh, coming tonight with an open mind uh, and listening to what me and my fellow constituents have to say. Uh, during the meeting here on the 29th, I heard a lot of talk about federal law and the Telecommunications Act. When I was a police sergeant, I had to know the law, had to correctly interpret the law, and then correctly apply the law because the law is black and white. It's gray. That's what I'd like to talk about, to apply the spirit of the law correctly without violating the law itself. The spirit of law, when it refers to the Telecommunications Act, was not given large tele telecom corporations unfettered bounds to grow as they like. It was to make sure everyone has coverage. Let's go back to the 29th to Mr. Davis, the attorney for Vogue Towers, repeatedly pointed out that he could not give you any answers on your repeated questions you asked him because in his words, quote, I don't know the specifics of the situation in which uh, you had asked him. That's all we're asking for. Do not pass rules and lock your constituents into a situation where their property values go down, where they have to look at a 150-foot eyesore in the community and a, seconds. And a rule that also is, um, is known but uncharted health risk. That's not the spirit of the law. Uh, no one has shown up to speak about uh, better cell coverage for 1,500-foot uh, towers, 
but um, there are pending people that have on the opposite side. Thank you very much. Next, we have John Watts. Thank you for this opportunity to speak to the board here. Uh, my name's John Watts, and uh, I'm here to speak on the feasibility study for the Hamwark paper ballots. And I come here to speak from 10 years of deep experience working in federal contracts management. This contract is not going to cost the county $100,000. I've looked at their other work that this organization has done. It's a feasibility study and it's an entry, it's an entry point to allow them to come in and do further implementation of their work. I would suspect that you're going to start with $100,000 and by the time their work is done, you're going to spend three to $400,000. So let's just start with that, that point right there. Secondly, I evaluated the proposal and if that's the best that the county can do in scrubbing that proposal, then we need to take a look at our procurement process here at the county level, okay? The cost proposal here is abysmal. It's not transparent, and yet the election commission, working with the procurement function, is coming to this commission and asking exactly. you to approve this cost. And there's no way that they can accurately determine whether that's an accurate cost. Thank you for your time. Sure. Next we have? Maureen, I can't read it. Maureen and... Um. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maureen Knox, I'm, I'm from Franklin, Tennessee. Thank you. You bet. I had the chance to attend the County Planning Commission meeting last week, and I've emailed all of you over the last couple of weeks. I'm here again tonight to reinforce my support for the 1,500-foot setback regulation. My support is based in ensuring the safety of our most vulnerable community stays protected to the best of our abilities with the knowledge that we have today. As a reminder, cell phones are less than 40 years old, 3G came out in 2001, 5G came out in 2019, and the average duration of a long-term scientific study is 10 to 15 years. We simply do not have the time to fully understand the impact that this technology will have on humans, let alone a developing population. To add to that, as my con constituents have said, placing infrastructure like these cell phone towers on school property when these schools often sit in the middle of neighborhoods causes a known and documented decrease in property value. I ask the committee to not just think about those that are directly impacted by having the cell phone tower in their backyard, 15 but also look at those within a half mile radius. Look at the property value of those homes and those homeowners around the tower. I wanna to thank you all for your service to the community and I appreciate your support on this amendment. Next we have Jane Sadler. Good evening, my name is Jane Sadler. I live in Thompson Station. I am part of the unincorporated county area. Um, if you choose to approve the growth plan that they are putting out tonight, I'm gonna ask a couple of favors from you all. One is the establishment of that multi-jurisdictional entity to focus on transportation planning within Williamson County. The growth plan states that it is considering forming. As you all know, we are way behind the eight ball on our infrastructure. We need to start treating infrastructure as a health and safety issue. As a lifelong resident of Williamson County, and I've told you all before, I graduated from Page High in 1984 and started attending MTSU. At that time, we started talking about widening 96 from Franklin 
to the Rutherford County line. We started that about three years ago. I've graduated high school 40 years ago. Yes, I'm old, but we need to focus on our infrastructure. So if we're going to, to have the urban growth advisory group that you Beckins. all want, we need to focus on that multi-jurisdictional transportation group. That needs to take precedent along with everything else. Thank you. We have Mr. John Lee. Good evening, I'm John Lee. I'm a lifelong resident of the duplex community and I'm here to request that y'all protect duplex from Spring Hill. The current uh, recommended UGB boundary has Spring Hill staying on the west side of I-65. I would like it to stay there because I would hate for the rest of Williamson County to look like the Williamson County part that's in Spring Hill. Thank you. Sure. Mr. Adam Melcher. Good evening. My name is Adam Melcher from the Harpeth Woods subdivision in uh, District 2, Franklin, unincorporated uh, Williamson County. I'm speaking on behalf of uh, our fellow unincorporated county residents. Many have been granted their request to be removed from more than one urban growth boundary. Um, and to be clear, I'm referring to the residents who were not removed prior to the current map that you are voting on today. This has taken place since November. And uh, since Spring Hill and Nolensville have already rejected the current map, this is really just more of a formality. Uh, however, there will be opportunities in the future uh, for, this, for this commission to be able to vote on a plan that benefits the municipalities and your county residents. This current plan is not that. And a vote of no sends us back to the coordinating committee to ensure a proper compromise can be made. Thank you. Our last speaker this evening is uh, Valerie Williams. Hi, I'm Valerie Williams. I live in Brentwood. And um, I wanted to just follow up with uh, some of the same comments people have made about the um, study for handmarked paper ballots. And um, I just wanted to make sure that everyone is aware that the, there's a strong uh, majority of Republicans, 70%, that do not trust our elections. Uh, they don't feel like they're free and fair. And so there's there's real reasons why um, we need to address the the um, handmarked paper ballot issue, but the way to do it is not through this study. Um, the study was changed uh, in its uh, original intent was to look at um, secure handmarked paper ballots, and the study is not doing that, so it's just going to be a waste, and I'm uh, hoping that you will vote no on that. Thank you. I want to thank everybody that came out to speak. Appreciate your comments. Uh, very good comments, and all are heard. The next item on our agenda are communications and messages. We do have one late filed resolution, uh, resolution 2-2417. If there are no objections, we will hear that resolution in appropriations. I have been asked to move some resolutions up to the front um, to accommodate those who have come here to hear them. 
one of those being resolution 2249, that is the resolution on the hand-marked paper ballots. Uh, the others uh, being resolution 22415, 22416, those are the resolutions um, concerning the urban growth plan. And then already at the front is the resolution on the cell towers. If there are no objections, we will move those resolutions to the front. I see no res uh, objections, so we will do that. Next up, we have reports from county offices. Uh, Mayor Rogers Anderson. Chairman and commissioners, if I could have Phoebe come up and give a snapshot of the financial condition of the county over the last 30 days. Good evening. The first thing I'd like to report on this evening is our revenues. Um, we are currently on target at the end of December to hit our revenue projections. If you take a look at the enclosed month-end report that is in your packet this evening, you will see that the year-to-date revenue percentages are around 50%. Um, so we are right on target. A few of those may be right under, a few over. But by the end of January, we are reflecting that those are over our 50% mark. Our total privilege tax collections for the month of December were just a little over 500000 and our education impact fee, just a little over 1.1 for the month. Included in your packet this evening are two letters from the comptroller's office. Um, both of these went out in your packet, so you should receive these. Actually, the, a copy went out before the budget committee meeting as well for you to take a look at those. The letter is in regard, both of these letters are regarded to a request for refunding of our 2014 bonds this evening. You will see later in this evening a resolution 22413, and the other county district bond 2014 is in, listed in resolution 22414. The county is required to submit our plan for refunding to the Division of Local Government Finance prior to the adoption of an authorizing resolution, which we are presenting to you this evening. The letters acknowledge that review. We are estimating a total of savings of 1 million to 1.2 million total for both bonds. These are in conjunction. So the total savings for both bonds would save us about $1.2 million. Obviously those will be a little less or a little more depending on how our numbers come back when we go to market. This is not lengthening the life of those bonds. That will not change. We are not extending the life. We are merely trying to have a cost savings of approximately 100,000 to 120 per year over the next 10 years. We are currently, those 2014 bonds have an interest rate of three and a half percent. And we are hopeful that we will receive anywhere from two and a half percent or less for those bonds. Obviously, those costs will differ. What's in your letter that you will see is just a review. It is merely an illustration of what we are anticipating. Um, obviously, we are hopeful that um, at the end of this month, we can go to market, and those will come in a little, little better than even we had projected. If there's any questions, I'd be happy to take those at this time. Any questions for Mrs. Phoebe Riley? I'm seeing none. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, you've got a lengthy meeting. I'll address any questions you may have. 
have a question from Commissioner Tunnicliffe. Yeah, Roger, this is really directed about the sheriff, and, and it might be something that Mark might want to answer. Um, how would a deferral this evening impact the sheriff's office in the short term? If you don't mind, I'd rather the sheriff answered or legal counsel. I think before Mark does answer it, you ought to have legal counsel, Jeff, tell you what the time frames are and what the requirements are uh, according to TCS code, TCA code. Jeff? Quickly, um, when a vacancy, which in this case occurred on January 1st in the Sheriff's Department occurred, the County Commission has to fill that vacancy within 120 days, which leads you through the month of April. You don't have an April meeting, so it has to be filled either in February or March to comply with the TCA on filling the vacancy. Any other questions? like to hear from from Mark on how he thinks it would impact the the office Chair recognizes Mr. Elrod thank you Mr. Commissioner Mr. Chairman Commissioners um, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that question and I think the best way is for me to answer it as a deputy currently serving as the interim sheriff of the sheriff's office um, it's about the continuity of operations, I think, with the appointment. Uh, when uh, Sheriff Rhodes retired, um, you know, it was a seamless transition. He retired. I stepped up and assumed those duties and have been carrying on those duties within the sheriff's office. Um, it's more about the sheriff's office than it is about the primary or about the election. Uh, it's about those continuity of operations for the deputies at our sheriff's office. Uh, it's about the continuity of those operations uh, throughout our county for our citizens. Um, I mean, regardless of the decision that y'all make here tonight, I'll continue the duties that y'all have asked me to do, and uh, we'll carry that forward. Uh, but it, it's more about the agency and that continuity, that transition, than it is anything else, if that answers your question. Any other questions? Seeing none, next up we have Superintendent of Schools, Mr. Jason Golden. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you, uh, Commissioners. We actually don't have any items on your agenda for vote. You may notice that this year we've had fewer than typical. That's in large part a result of our of our student growth numbers um, be, being flat the last year and a half or so. We don't have a need as often for adjustments in the budget. I did want to let you know that uh, our students will be out of school on March 5th, the primary day. Um, somewhere around 18 to 20 of our schools will be used as polling places. Uh, so we made that adjustment to our calendar in conjunction with the Commissioner of Education's office. I'm certainly open to any questions you may have of me. Any, question, any questions for the superintendent? I see none. Thank you, sir. Next up, we have a hospital report. Uh, CEO, Mr. Phil Mazuka And Mike Genesee. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and commissioners for allowing us the opportunity to provide an update today. I know you have a busy schedule, so I'll be brief. Uh, on the project, we uh, recently in the last week opened five uh, newly renovated uh, labor delivery and recovery rooms. That makes nine so far that have been renovated of the 17. Uh, we are nearing the completion of our current phase of our ER renovation. And this is important because for the first time since we started the project, uh, we will actually go from 28 
uh, adult emergency beds to 37 adult emergency beds as of March 6th. So we're planning to open those beds uh, on March 6th. Uh, the remaining six beds that'll take us to 43 will happen sometime during the summer. Uh, this week, the tower crane will come down as we've done almost all of the external uh, uh, work. And so we will have some disruption in the parking area on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's when the crane comes down. So if you drive past the hospital and see that crane every day uh, after this weekend, you won't, see it, you won't see it again. We're still on track to have our grand opening on June 18th. And right after the opening, over a period of about two to three weeks, we'll be moving into the West Tower. Last thing, this month is of February is American Heart Month. Uh, so we're promoting heart health uh, throughout the community, whether it's social media, at meetings, uh, on television, radio. We've had some free spots where our physicians have spoken uh, and been interviewed. And uh, we are also offering a discounted health screening promotion for the community during the month for calcium scoring. With that, I'll turn it over to Mike uh, to give you a brief financial update. <clears throat> Thank you, Phil. Good evening. Um, I know you have the uh, financial packet uh, in your packet reports. Uh, December was a very good month for us as it usually is. We, we seem to have a lot of uh, volume with uh, patients uh, having already met their deductibles and so forth. And, and we did see that in this December. <coughs> Look at the bottom of the sheet, you can see our, our key volume stats. Uh, they're all up over our average. So that what that did, that contributed to uh, to additional net revenue. Luckily, we had some some savings in our OPEX, so we ended up making about a two point, almost a two point three million dollar net income, uh, a good bit more than our five hundred thousand dollar budget. Um, so on a on the balance sheet side, we had a really good month of collections, almost twenty six million dollars. Uh, we have about one hundred and three days of cash, one hundred two point two days of cash available to us, and our our debt coverage ratio was almost two, uh, requirement of one point five. So uh, all in all, a good month, good, uh, good volumes, good revenues, and a good balance sheet for us. So I'd be glad to ask, answer any questions if you had anyone. Questions for either Mr. Mazuka or Mr. Genesee? I see none. Thank you. Are there any other departments wishing to report at this time? Okay, we'll move on to the next item on the agenda, which is elections and appointments. Um, we have two. We have the Agriculture Committee, uh, which will be nominating uh, and voting on a farmer position and a farm woman position. And then we have the Williamson County Sheriffs. Um, being that these are both a little unique tonight, uh, we will accept a motion and a second, and then we will discuss amongst ourselves any questions or comments. Afterwards, if both candidates are here and we have not voted to defer, uh, then we will allow the candidates each two minutes to talk and address the county commission and the audience. Um, so the first one up is farmer position. Uh, term expiring is a two-year term uh, expiring for Reuben Buck. The nomination is Dwayne Perry. And I will entertain a motion on the screen. I don't think our screens are set up to make a motion. I'll, I'll entertain a voice motion. A uh, motion made by Commissioner Williams, seconded, I believe, by Commissioner Smith. Any questions or comments on the nomination of Dwayne Perry? See none. If we're ready to vote, I'm sorry. It's not working. Ah. 
I think the request to speak is working, but the motion isn't. But That's go right. ahead, Commissioner Hayes. Um, my question is not so much about this candidate. Um, it's more so about when someone nominates. I noticed on this there is a committee that's nominated. Um, I guess my concern, what are the rules on if a county commissioner nominates, do we not have to have a name? I'm, I'm just concerned about having a, a committee that is not part of the elected um, officials of the county. So I, I'm just concerned. I mean, what what is the rule on that and who's responsible for ensuring the nominee is actually eligible based on the rules or the TCA code? That's my concern. Um, in general, any commissioner can nominate to one of the vacancies if it is a county commission spot such as is noticed here. If it is a county uh, mayor spot, your job as a county commission is only to confirm or vote it down. You don't add nominees to those spots. In these cases, any nominee can uh, nominate from the floor. It does not take a second, and they can be added to the election. So I guess I'm concerned that there's a committee, and I don't know who's behind that committee, if they vetted this person. I mean, not. I'm not trying to say this individual is not qualified. I'm certainly reading the, the profile, but I guess I'm a little concerned about why isn't there a name and how do we know they're verifying these people are actually based on the rules meeting the requirements such it was the elect the agriculture committee that made the nomination correct so the, you know the members of the agriculture committee not, uh, not off the rule, top of my head now they're in your rule book in the back of your rule book so you do have those but they're making one that as i said you as a commissioner can nominate anyone you wish to but is some okay. I can take this up later. I'm just trying to make sure that we've vetted this committee has vetted to make sure that people are following following within the rules and the code. So any other questions concerning the nomination of Mr. Dwayne Perry? Seeing none, we'll do this by voice vote. Okay. Uh, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Any opposed? And the motion carries. Next, we have the position of farm woman position. Uh, term expiring is uh, Commissioner Judy Herbert. Uh, nominations are Leslie Bingham and Casey Hare. I'll entertain a motion. Motion, <clears throat> motion made originally by uh, Commissioner Sanford, seconded by Commissioner Mary Smith. What's his motion? Or who? Motion. Uh, Who's your motion for? Casey. Okay. Two names, so. I need a motion for both? Yes. Or just, okay. So we need a motion for both. I have a motion and a second, I assume, for Casey Hare. Okay, that one is completed. Now I'll entertain a motion and a second for Leslie Bingham. Second. Uh, motion made by Commissioner Smith, seconded, I believe, by Commissioner Williams. Um, any questions or comments on the two candidates, uh, two nominations we have for farm woman position? We have a first question comes from Commissioner Mary Smith. Um, not so much a question. I just wanted to thank Casey for being here tonight. And I don't know, you said you might give them a chance to speak if the nominees are here. Okay, so Casey is here tonight. So I just wanted to thank her for her time to come in and introduce herself to the commissioners and for the follow-up emails that you sent. Um, and also just comment on her commitment or leadership to the community and what she's done for the agriculture uh, locally sourced businesses and the small businesses all the way, all across the county. Um, and I think that, you know, she has the leadership and she has the commitment and passion to be a great part of the Agriculture Committee. Um, so I hope you all will consider her. 
have a question or comment from Commissioner Sturgeon. Oh, thank you. My request was just that we would be able to hear them speak, I'd like a chance to um, hear them both speak, Leslie and Casey, if that's possible. Both of those uh, nominees here. Yes. Uh, let's see if there's any other questions first, and if not, then we will invite first up, uh, taking them in order here alphabetically, Leslie Bingham. Is Leslie Bingham here to speak? Um, okay. <laughs> um, Matt Orsman has, from his office, Taylor Reader is here to Hi, I'm Leslie Bingham. Uh, I live in College Grove, um, Bethesda. Um, and I think the Ag Committee has done a great job. I believe that Matt Horseman, Judy Herbert, um, everyone on the, on the board has done amazing. And I would like to continue help keep what the community, what works for our community. Um, I've been able to start a farm for my family. I, um, and Matt has helped me with numerous things. Um, and again, I feel like what we're doing now works for us, so why change it? Um, and I would love to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next, we will hear from uh, Casey Hare. So much. My name is Casey Hare, and I um, have been in the agriculture world for about 10 years now. My husband and I started the Nolensville Farmers Market in 2014, and we have managed several markets through Williamson County over the last 10 years. Um, one other, you know, I spoke with Matt Horseman after meeting you all in January, and we really discussed what the Agriculture Committee does and kind of how the committee members can help agriculture in Williamson County. And one of his main points was that although the agriculture committee um, and what Matt does at the extension office is really centered around agriculture, it is also a huge focus in 4-H and um, teaching the Williamson County youth life and leadership skills. Um, I also am a mentor at the EIC, the Entrepreneur and Innovation Center of Williamson County. And so that has been a major part of my commitment to the county in keeping this going. So partnering agriculture and ag education is just, um, I think, a vital, vital part of continuing to grow. Thank you. Got a question or comment from Commissioner Williams. Apologies, my button's not working over here. Um, I'm on the Ag Committee. Um, we had our quarterly meeting on January 26. All seven members of the Ag Committee were present. Um, we saw that, you know, there was two nominations coming forward for this one, so we thought it wise to, to discuss and make a recommendation coming to the committee or coming to commission tonight. First of all, I just want to say uh, both individuals are, are well-respected individuals and very appreciative of all the involvement. Uh, it was very present in their resumes and their background, it's fairly impressive. The, the conversation largely turned to what all does the extension office do? Uh, involves horticulture, uh, family consumer sciences, 4-H is a huge part, agriculture is the other piece. So evaluating both individuals, um, recognizing their the efforts that they put towards it. But the, the recommendation from the Ag Committee to the commission is for uh, Ms. Leslie Bingham. 
Any other questions or comments? Is there anyone here from the Ag Committee that wants to speak? I don't know. Is there anyone here from the Agricultural Committee that wishes to speak? Okay. Uh, Commissioner Landrum? Yes, we listened about both candidates in depth. Really appreciate, appreciate them having the interest to it. We did settle on Lisa Bingham for that position, and I'd ask you to support her tonight. Thank you. Are there any uh, others who wish to speak? Um, okay, Commissioner Hayes. It, maybe I'm incorrect in this, but it's my understanding that there are four commissioners on this committee and there it's only the rules only allow to be three. So are one of these people going to replace one of those four since we're... Yes. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? This vote will be done by roll call, meaning each individual commissioner will announce the name of their choice in alphabetical order. And if we're ready to do that now, I'll ask uh, Mr. Whidbey to call the roll. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Clover. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Graves. Casey Hare. Commissioner Guffey. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Hayes. Casey Hare. Commissioner Herbert. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Hester. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Jones. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Landrum. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Lawrence. Casey Hare. Commissioner Mason. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Morton. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner O'Neill. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Richards. Casey Hare. Commissioner Sanford. Casey Hare. Commissioner Mary Smith. Casey Hare. Commissioner Steve Smith. Bingham. Commissioner Stresser. Casey Hare. Commissioner Sturgeon. Casey Hare. Commissioner Torres. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Tonicliffe. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Webb. Leslie Bingham. Commissioner Williams. Leslie Bingham. I have 16 for. Oh, sorry. You're correct. Uh, yeah, 16 for Miss Bingham and 8 for Miss Hare. Thank you. Yes, sir. So the nomination goes to. Next item uh, will be the uh, nominations potentially of Williamson County Sheriff. Um, I'll first uh, entertain a motion. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to move to the first Okay, we have a motion first to defer. Who um, made Commissioner Lawrence? I think I heard a second. Commissioner Graves? Need some time, or do you want us to go to voice? I'll give her just a moment to load that. Uh, before we vote, I'm sorry, we have uh, a request to speak from Commissioner Judy Herbert. <coughs> uh, this is for Mayor Anderson, 
I guess my question is, is being a former chairman of the budget, we're right beginning the budget process. How does this affect the budget process if someone new should get in and them know nothing about the budget? I mean, is this going to be a major problem for the for the county? <clears throat> Most of the requests, I think as of today, all of the requests for capital were in, all of the budgets are submitted, so all of them are already in. We're going through those processes as we uh, as we always do, but I, I, I honestly don't think that'll matter one way or the other. We can move money around based upon whoever is sheriff. <clears throat> Sheriff Everrod and his staff prepare a lot of the budget processes they go through, but as all of you know, about 80 or 85% of it's in the area of payroll. Thank you. I have a question from Commissioner Tunnicliffe. Yeah, my comment is more in uh, making a statement to the rest of the commissioners up here. We've been getting a lot of emails on this. I've contacted them, a good portion of them in reply. They're all under the assumption that if if we wait until March, whoever wins the prime, good portion of them are under the assumption, we we'll wait until the primary is called, that whoever wins the primary will automatically be the sheriff. I said, no, there still has to be an appointment that happens at the March meeting. They were clueless to that fact, and a lot of them changed their mind at that point in what they said to me. So I just want us to think about what these people that are sending these emails think is going to happen. Thank you. I do need a, uh, to make a distinction. Uh, Commissioner Lawrence, this would be a motion to defer until March, correct? Correct. So the, uh, again, the motion in the second is to defer this nomination to March. Any other questions or comments? Seeing none, is it loaded into the system? I believe it is. If you're in favor of deferring this uh, nomination unto March, signify by pressing your yes button. It originally came from Commissioner Lawrence, for the record, Commissioner Lawrence and Commissioner Graves uh, were the first and the second. And if it's ready to be voted on. So again, in this case, a yes vote is to defer to March. A no vote is to not defer until March. If you're in favor of deferring, please press your yes button. If you're opposed your no button, anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. We got Commissioner Landrum. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whidbey. 17 yes, seven no. Motion to defer passes. Next, we go into the consent agenda. The consent agenda should be in your packet. I'll entertain a motion. Proper motion made by Commissioner Steve Smith, seconded by Commissioner Greg Sanford. Any questions or comments on the consent agenda? Seeing none, if we're ready to vote, if you're in favor of approval of the consent agenda, uh, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed your no? It's not on my screen. We're not seeing the uh, voting buttons. Here we go. 
If you're in favor of the consent agenda, again, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Commissioner Ricky Jones. Oh. Okay. Mark Kim is temporarily absent, I suppose. Okay. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 23 yes, zero no, and one absent. And it passes. There's no unfinished business, no new business, so now we move on to zoning. We have two public hearings this evening. Uh, I will read the resolution to open up the floor to those who may want to speak. Um, and then we will close the public hearing and vote on uh, first resolution being 2241. Resolution regarding a resolution to amend articles 11, 17, and 23 of the zoning ordinance regarding athletic facilities. Um, the floor is now open to anyone wishing to speak to this resolution. Please announce your name in the town in which you sure, reside. My name is uh, Kenny Brody, and I live in College Grove. Um, the reason for this is simply that kids don't have places to play in most of unincorporated Williamson County. The closest places are 20 to 40 minutes away, and we have 124 rain days a year, so, you know, kids that have outdoor practices, most of them are canceled, you know, during those days, like today. And we also have shortages of fields, just generally speaking. So, for example, my, my daughter, who's, you know, nine years old, they get one hour of practice a week at the local elementary school. So the purpose here is to allow people to build these facilities to allow kids that, in, in my case anyway, who have no money to play for free and those who have money to pay for it and it should generate tax revenues for the county and it should just be a win-win altogether. And generally speaking, when kids don't have stuff to do, bad things happen. So I can get into specifics about you know what the requirements are, but there seems to be a very, very large demand because when I did this in front of the planning committee, or commission, people were approaching me about using the space before I even left this room. So there you go. I'm happy to answer any questions. And uh, Mayor, I know you're here. I've actually set aside land for uh, the fire department in College Grove, if you'd like it, which we talked about. That would take up another field that you guys would otherwise pay for. So yeah, I think tax benefits, community benefits, benefits for kids, it's pretty straightforward. Thank you, sir. Anyone else wishing to speak uh, to this resolution? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. We will now move on to the resolution itself, resolution 2241, resolution to amend articles 11, 17, and 23 of the zoning ordinance regarding athletic facilities, proper motion made by Commissioner Brian Clifford, seconded by Commissioner Mary Smith. Regional Planning Commission, it was 8-4-0 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Clifford. Pretty said it's a change of the zoning regulations that affect quote recreational athletic facilities comma outdoor there's not currently a use type that contemplates both indoor and outdoor private recreational athletic facilities and this seeks to include and allow indoor facilities to be recognized as a use type mike madison our new community development director is here to help answer any specific questions mr sanford First of all, Mr. Brody, I appreciate you being here and appreciate you stepping up to the plate. 
giving back to giving back to the community. Um, Mike, this is for you. Uh, I read this resolution. I am going to vote in favor of it, but I would like a commitment from your office <clears throat> to look into the um, setbacks when a parcel in question is not contiguous with residential. Um, this issue's come up in my district, um, and I'd like for you guys to look at that. Yeah, and we spoke about that this morning. There is a existing 200-foot setback for these uses from property lines. Um, we spoke about the possibility of relaxing that if these uses are joining an existing non-residential use. I think that's something that we'd be happy to look into, um, and if that uh, and that may come back to you in that form. Um, but we ask that you do vote on the resolution before you tonight. Mary Smith. Um, I noticed that the minimum lot size, um, you actually increased it. Uh, well, I guess you're actually establishing one of 20 acres. Is there a reason the 20 acres for this type of facility versus the 10 acres for the stadium and arena? Uh, that's what the current minimum lot size is for the outdoor component. Um, typically, these fields you, you take up quite a bit of space. And once you get into the parking and the setbacks, you're looking at a lot size like that. Um, I think we felt like that anything less than that would be cramming too much on a smaller site. Any other questions or comments? And just as a point of clarification, Commissioner Sanford, this is not a commercial uh, offering. This would be a private offering. Is that correct, Mr. Madison? Uh, this falls under the commercial category in our zoning ordinance, but these are privately owned facilities. Yes. Any other questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor of resolution 2241, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Next public hearing is regarding resolution number 2242, resolution to amend the zoning ordinance text as it relates to telecommunication mm -hmm. towers. Uh, here, if you've already spoken previously, uh, we'll ask that you uh, allow those who maybe haven't spoken, who maybe arrived here late, but this is another opportunity if someone new wishes to speak to this resolution, uh, they are invited to the podium now. If you will, state your name in the town uh, or area that you reside in. My name is Heather Bulin, and I live in Watkins Creek in Franklin, Tennessee. And first, I just wanted to thank all of you, um, all the commissioners who've taken the time to hear from us in Watkins Creek and the surrounding community from parents at Trinity, and not only listen, but take action to make sure that um, what happened to us over there doesn't happen to anybody else again. Um, with regard to the work session, I hope you continue to use Dr. Chamberlain as a resource moving forward with connectivity in schools and throughout the county. We have options. Um, cell towers are not our only option. Um, I think tonight's zoning amendment is a big step in the right direction, uh, but I think there's more we can do as far as long-term investment in a safe infrastructure, something like fiber optics. As far as Vogue Towers goes and the comments that were made during the work session, it's the same playbook. Doesn't matter the company, it's the industry. Um, they send an attorney to say boo and scare everybody 
and everyone kind of cowers. And I do have to say that I felt um, really proud of our commission for not letting that happen last month when we had the work session. Um, they want us to feel like we have no authority per federal law, but that is simply not true. We do not have broad authority uh, because the telecommunications industry lobbyists have spent billions of dollars to ensure that. But we do have some authority and these companies deserve guidance from us whenever they're considering where these towers go. So I think we really need to focus on getting our zoning to match the needs and, and wishes of the community. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that's going to happen is these macro towers are going to go up and then right behind them are going to be the small cell towers. And if we don't fix our zoning ordinances now, we're just going to be kind of dealing with these, these things all over again in times of stress. Um, I hope that you pass the amendment tonight and support it as it's coming to you from the planning commission. Um, I'd also love if you could all explore a way to relocate the tower at Trinity Elementary. Um, we asked Vogue multiple times what it would cost. Can we have a proposal? Um, we were not given anything from them. So we reached out to the company they contracted to put the tower up, Keiko Enterprises. And they told us that they recently decommissioned a tower for about $50,000. So without any feedback from them or help from them, we assume that's what it would cost. And they said that the carriers could do a quote, drop and swap where they put their equipment down. They either decommission the tower or relocate it. And then the equipment can just go up on a new tower. Um, seemed like something that they do often. Uh, I would love to just be provided some options and look at every everything we could possibly do to relocate that tower. It's 587 feet from the school um, and exhaust every option before we just move on. Uh, we need the tower move now. And I feel strongly that if Vogue Towers won't work with the, the community on that and, and work with you all on that, then we shouldn't be doing business with them. Um, actually, in, in Pasco County, Florida, there was a similar situation, completely different company called Vernex Towers, and they wanted it near the school, wouldn't work with the school board, and um, they hired Wireless Edge to come in, and now Wireless Edge is building a tower 2,300 feet from the school. So these things can be done if we wish to do them, and we hope that you'll all look into ways to make sure we can do that. Um, I'm actually not done. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, it may cut into their bottom line to move uh, the towers to the perimeter of the community instead of putting them directly into the center. And it may, you know, be extra work. They may have to provide extra data, but I think we can figure out, or I think they can figure out a way to meet our parameters if we give them the guidelines. As they're written now, they're only, you know, what they did at Trinity was what we told them to do so we need to we need to get this fixed now um speaking of data some of you asked for the carriers to provide data about the the so-called blackout zones throughout the county um i'm not sure if those were provided we didn't get a copy of them if they were um but i can guarantee there are issues with how those are laid out and they won't be looking at a solution. They'll be looking at their plan. And that's what is going to be bottom line, not the community. So I would encourage you or whomever's having these conversations to propose what we'd like to see and then hear the solutions. 
If the majority of you support this amendment tonight, there's interest on the state level to implement this further and broader. So I encourage you to support our schools and kids and vote yes on this amendment um, to not only protect Williamson County kids, but kids throughout the state. Um, there was mention that there may be $100,000 up for grabs. And I think <laughs> a committee to research this is a great idea. And I would even invite uh, Mr. Shaw, who um, I believe it was his daughter who spoke, to join that committee because these committees have been formed in other states and we know the results. There are biological <coughs> harms that can be done from non-ionizing radiation, period. The science says that it's possible. It's why the American Cancer Society says they can't take a position. So we know these things can happen. Um, and I just ask <coughs> that anything regarding telecommunications, all the new technology, we're gonna have the small cells, 6G's coming right after it. Um, just take a pause and make sure we know what we're doing before we you know, suddenly start putting things up in people's backyards. Um, one other thing that I would love to see is just um, improvement in the public notice. And I think that was what, when we were including the residential <coughs> dwellings in the original amendment, I think that was the goal, was to notify residents of what was gonna be happening in their community. So I don't know um, how we word that or how we do that, but that was our huge issue, was we had no idea. It was a big surprise. So improving that would be great too. Thanks for your time. Anyone else who hasn't had an opportunity to speak, <coughs> wishing to speak at this time? If you would, please give us your name in the town or area that you live in. Uh, I'm Dr. Elizabeth Baker, and I am from Williamson County um, in uh, Franklin. Uh, I'm also a native Nashvilleian and a resident of Williamson County, a business owner and a concerned mother. I have a degree in uh, animal science and biology from University of Tennessee. Um, and not only are the cell towers aesthetically unappealing, as we have already heard from some of the realtors in the room earlier. Uh, they also have environmental impacts on human health, as well as the flora and the fauna of the surrounding areas. Uh, the systematic review of the biological studies, uh, they affect the bees, they affect the insects, they infect the, uh, inf affect the animals uh, and the birds, and the vast majority of these studies have found that the effects generally are harmful ones. Uh, ones with toxic effects such as impacts to the reproductive and the immune health occurring at uh, currently legally allowed exposure levels. The study looked at over 330 separate studies on EMFs, uh, effects specifically on the insects and the birds. The researchers uh, caution on the rising levels of the non-ionizing EMFs as a critical factor in the worldwide pollinator decline. Uh, regarding the sources of these EMFs in the environment, such as the cell towers, uh, the researchers concluded that consistent results from numerous studies conducted by the various research groups using various protocols, they make irrefutable cases for the adverse effects. Um, governments uh, are not limiting or are not doing enough to protect us. The effects are found at levels well below the FCC safe limits. Uh, the basis for these limits are now very outdated with the increased exposure with the stronger cell towers that are now coming and will continue to come. How does this affect our biology? Well, the continual EMF exposure can first uh, cause oxidative stress, causing chromosomal aberrations, which can 
affect DNA. It can also cause redu uh, reduced re reproductive capacity, and in the simple terms, it can actually affect the reproductive capabilities not only of the animals and the insects, but I would assume other animals in the area, maybe even humans. Like all the federal agencies, the FCC must also follow environmental laws, including the National Environmental Policy Act. They require the FCC to assess potential environmental impacts of its actions before it authorizes funds or licenses projects such as cell towers uh, and other communication infrastructure and consider the concerns of the community and its citizens in the process. Yet the FCC fails to comply with uh, the NEPA in myriad of ways. It ignores the federal actions requiring environmental review. It circumvents the NEPA. It also improperly deems certain um, federal actions as non-major federal actions. And this was also found true in the DC Court Circuit of Appeals in 2019. Their environmental review process is also very hasty. It omits consideration of countless potential environmental effects, including not only the aesthetic impacts, but also large-scale tree clearing. They fail to provide adequate notice to the, and opportunities to the publics uh, to comment on their projects. They fail to make environmental documents such as radio frequency emission studies readily available to the public. They will also routinely ignore and dismiss public comments so that it is authorized uh, virtually all wireless projects as proposed, regardless of environmental concerns that have been raised. Given their lack of oversight and failure to comply with the environmental laws, uh, violations as these represent a fraction of the environmental harms that occur under their agency's watch. Their lack of accountability is cumulative and incalculable to the environmental damage. Views of protected landscapes, historic sites, they have been ruined, wetlands that have been filled, endangered species habitats that have been cleared, and sacred sites that have been desecrated, uh, and much more. Equally important, citizens and localities are left with little or no voice in sitting decisions affecting them and their communities as the wireless technologies continue to proliferate and impact and they will multiply. Most politicians and other decision makers using these guidelines for exposure to radio frequencies uh, seem to ignore the risks to human health and the environment. The fact that the International Agency for Research on Cancer, as well as the World Health Organization, uh, classified radiation in the frequency range of 300 kilohertz to 300 gigahertz to be a possible human carcinogen is not being or is being ignored. We warn against a careless deployment of further cell towers and infrastructure, especially close to children and homes. Not only would this be careless, but it would also be negligent to continue with placing cell towers near schools, in parks, and in residences in the light of the scientific studies, proving their harmful immediate effects, but also their long-term effects that are not yet known. Thank you. Anyone else wishing to speak to the hearing? Again, please give us your name and town or loca locality. Yes, sir. My name is Brad Palmquist, and I live in unincorporated Williamson County. Uh, first of all, thank you all for being here tonight. I did not come here expecting to speak, so I will apologize in advance. Um, about two years ago, my wife and I uh, relocated from the state of California. I'm sure you've heard that plenty of times before. Um, and when looking for places to live, we wanted, number one, our main priority to be the safety of our children. Um, Number two, we wanted public education. Uh, that was very important to us, and we felt like at the time that we found the perfect mix of both. Um, unfortunately, those two things have crossed paths, and now we have concerns in those. Um, a little bit of unique information about me. We lived previously in California, about 45 minutes outside of the town of Ripon, California. Um, if you're not familiar, Ripon, California has an elementary school called Weston Elementary. 
uh, back in mid 2015, 2016 Sprint put a 5G cell phone tower on top of their elementary school. Um, that is a, a school where many of my coworkers at the time had their children. Within a three year period, they had four elementary school age children that had outbreaks of cancer. And there were various and very sig uh, significant cases of cancer and had never been seen before in that community. Um, when this was going on, obviously everybody in that community had sheer panic, terror, as I'm sure all of us would feel the same way. Um, my coworkers, although knock on wood, their children were not exposed. They did not know if they had uh, cancer. So they had a daily struggle of whether or not to send their kids to school, whether or not to leave their homes, to move to other jurisdictions where they didn't have these towers. Um, and they had paranoia about, did their kids currently have cancer in their body they didn't know about? Um, seeing that firsthand was, was alarming, and I never thought that I would be in the position to have those same concerns. Um, my children currently go to Creekside Elementary, and although I'm not in the same boat as people going to Trinity, I know that Creekside is on Vogue Tower's list. And that would be alarming, and it would unfortunately cause myself and my wife to reevaluate our decision to live here if there was towers put at elementary schools. Um, the number one priority in this community should be the health and safety of our children. So I ask you put the children first, please. We don't know enough about the situation. I understand that. But as someone on the planning commission said the other night, if you look back, if, if we fast forward 20 years from now, no one will look back and say we should have put more radio towers or cell towers at schools. And that hit home. And I agree with that. There's plenty of room within this county to provide them room for towers to provide cell phone coverage while still protecting our children. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else wishing to speak to the hearing? Again, if you'll state your name or town or proximity. Courtney Trump and Franklin, Tennessee. Um, firstly, I just want to thank all the commissioners that I've been in touch with about the issue. And um, I really appreciate all your responses and the care and time you've given um, and the attention. Something I just wanted to bring up briefly, even though it may not hold any weight as to whether you vote yay or nay, um, is the question as to whether or not Vogue is in fact a good vendor or partner to Williamson County. Um, they've failed to supply a coverage map to everyone who's inquired despite the fact that the attorney promised they would. Also, they have never addressed the origin of the list that Williamson County schools were all on and are all being targeted and marketed for. I would encourage the county to look at other partners, whether it's fiber optic um, or 5G. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anyone else wishing to speak to the hearing? Again, if you'll give us your name and town. I'm Mike St. Charles from Signal Mountain, Tennessee, which is just right outside of Chattanooga. I'm here speaking on behalf of the wireless service providers. Uh, I think that uh, I'm speaking to the choir when I say that uh, Making uh, decisions that are in the common good for a growing progressive county is difficult. Uh, making a decision that uh, everybody will accept and uh, happy be happy with is really difficult. Um, I think that the Telecommunication Act, which was passed in 1996, contemplated that. It uh, certainly understood it was revolutionary technology that was gonna have a profound uh, impact on our daily lives really become somewhat essential. Uh, I think if you got the blue alert, or for me, just getting to making sure I had the right directions to get here, haven't bought a map in ages. It certainly has changed how we live our daily lives. Uh, 
I think that the while they deferred to local jurisdictions to make these decisions on cell towers, they did set parameters under which the, the local jurisdictions needed to make those decisions. And um, basically, while you have the ability to make the zoning decisions, it uh, said that you couldn't make decisions, restrictions that would basically end up prohibiting or preventing uh, cell towers from locating and providing the service. I think the easiest way for me to present that to you is that in zoning uh, decisions, you all have a lot of discretion. As long as your decision is not arbitrary and capricious, it has some reasonable basis, then that passes muster. When you come to, uh, under the Telecommunications Act, it's a higher standard. It's still a reasonable standard, but any decisions that you make has to have and this is with substantial evidence that it's reasonable. And I think that's the, the, the key standard that you need to focus on. And I, I think with this proposed resolution, certainly none of the providers have any problem with the uh, notice part of it. I think that they're all for transparency and making sure everybody knows what's proposed and so that everybody, like these citizens here, have a chance to voice their opinion uh, to each of y'all. I think that the... Um, key part of it is the part about the 1500 setback. And when you look at that, there's, there's really um, no basis for that, uh, that, that we know of. When you look at the RF concern, the health concern, that, that I hear what they're saying, but if you look at the su substantial weight of uh, scientific evidence, it doesn't support that. And I, I would like to read just one part that was uh, part of a rule promulgated by the FCC that was adopted in uh, 2022. And it just says that the record does not demonstrate that the science underpinning the current RF exposure limits is outdated or insufficient to protect human safety. Nor does the record include actionable alternatives or modifications to the current RF limits supported by the study <coughs> or supported by significant rigorous data and, a, a, and a analysis. For all these reasons, we terminate the inquiry, but will continue to study and review public, publicly available science and collaborate with other federal agencies and the international community to ensure our limits continue to reflect the latest science. So that's coming from the federal government. Um, so in my experience, there's no other, um, I, I don't have any experience with any other community passing anything close to a setback of 1,500 square feet, uh, 1,500 feet. And I think as um, one of the, maybe the commissioners pointed out, if you do the math on that, I think that comes out to 164 acre track. That's a very, very large track and really has the likelihood of preventing uh, a cell tower from being located. The other thing is certainly in my experience, any growing county like Williamson County that has 250 residents, and that's going to be growing, uh, that type of uh, setback is, is uh, I, I, we can find no evidence that anybody had anything like that. Um, I, I really would say that uh, your current ordinance is sufficient. Uh, anytime you're going to locate a cell tower, you've got to, first of all, prove that there's a need for it, and that's got to be proven by uh, hard data that the, the providers can provide. And the other thing that you've got to uh, show is that this is the best location, that the, uh, uh, the different locations, <coughs> that this is the most appropriate. And you can do that on a case-by-case -case basis. They can come to this, uh, this group anytime they have a location and they can and present the evidence to you all and you all can make it uh, you know, in your discretion subject to the, you know, the, the, the standards. And I think that the last thing I would say is that 
the providers are not trying to locate towers in places that are not needed. They're trying to meet the demands of their customers. The customers are the ones that say, we have lack of service here, we need service here. And so that it's really the free market enterprise, it's providing uh, a service to the, the clients because they're not about investing their hard dollars in areas that there's not a need. Anyone else wishing to speak to the hearing? Again, if you'll give us your name and. Uh, Jeffrey Abahara, I represent Waterford Consultants. Uh, I actually live in Leewood, Kansas, suburb of Kansas City. Um, Your chiefs. <laughs> we uh, represent municipalities, uh, stadium authorities, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile. We uh, represent everybody in the industry. We have professional engineers. Uh, we do produce reports. One of the things we are experts at is the um, interpreting the FCC uh, reports in order. And I thought I'd give you a little bit of background on where we got to and how we got to this point. <clears throat> in uh, the early 80s, were some of the first wireless networks. The FCC in 85 adopted a what we call through their Office of Engineering and Technology, OET 65, which kind of laid out the uh, limits for human exposure. That uh, document was updated again in 96. And then um, in 96, what they did was they separated it to where they had two levels. One was for occupational workers, those that had to work around wireless antennas and by law were supposed to be trained and to be aware of what their environment was. The, also, the other limit was the general population. The general population limits are five times more conservative than the occupational. And that's because the general public can't control their exposure to RF emissions. And so it's, uh, the FCC built in a 50 uh, times safety factor for the general population. And so, um, the FCC in 2013, because of some of the comments you heard tonight, opened up and started listening to what other studies had been brought forth. And then again, in, uh, and so in 2019, they had another, the second report in order. And that report in order is what uh, uh, the attorney just mentioned, that they decided that there was no need to change the current limits and how we, uh, for human exposure. In 2021, uh, that became adopted. I think it took a couple of years to get adopted because uh, of COVID. But now the time clock has gone forward. And what we did in 2019 was, uh, or what happened when that got adopted was, it really impacted how we put signs up and alert the public to the dangers of RF emissions. And so that's kind of the history. It, it, it's been a long time since those standards were put in place, but radio frequency waves haven't changed since that time. How we've deployed them, how we use them have changed, and how we look at the limits are based on really three factors. It's the power that these, the, these uh, equipment puts out, it's the distance, and it's also frequency dependent. And so those are the three factors that the FCC looks at, and they come up with a a percentage called maximum permissible exposure. And they have it for both the general population and for occupational. And so what we did, we were uh, engaged by Vogue to come out and look at the Trinity Tower. 
And what we did was we did what we call a predictive model there. And predictive modeling will always be the worst case scenario because we're assuming that it operates at 100% duty cycle all the time, which these facilities never do. Then we were asked to basically take AT&T's proposed installation on that tower, and we doubled it. They're going to they went they're going to go in at 190 feet. We put their we also put identical antennas and radios at 175 feet, and then modeled that site at the base of that tower. We came up with a uh, general population limit of 0.466% of 100%, so very, very, very low. We were then asked to model what it was at Trinity School. And so we looked at it from the rooftop closest to the tower, and that <coughs> reading came out to 0.001% of the allowable limits. And that was on the outside of the school. Inside the school would be even less than that because of the attenuating factor of the building materials. Um, <clears throat> we were then asked to take a look at a five, uh, 15, uh, let's see, 1,500 feet from the school, and we couldn't come up with any sort of calculation that would come up. I bring this up to you because this is a passionate subject. I've been an elected official in the past. I've dealt with these same things, but I will tell you, I am standing under monitors that put far in excess of 0.001%. The monitors you're, that are in, put in front of you, those of you that have your mobile devices, you're far in excess of 0.001%. There's, there's a good website that you should look at. The website is RF Safe. And I looked at my phone today on the plane on the way here. And if I hold this phone to my head, I am at 74% of the maximum permissible exposure limits for the general public. If I have the Wi-Fi on at the same time, I'm at 94%. So I just I give you those numbers because I want to give you an idea of comparison and contrasting that at that school outside, it's 0.001%. When I hold this to my head, it's 94% of the allowable limits. And so that gives you a, a little bit. So Inside that school, the lights just like you have here, the monitors, the servers, the microwave ovens, the phones that the teachers are carrying, if the kids are using iPads, they're getting far in excess of 0.001%. Maybe one of the things that you would look at and what we have dealt with in other communities is instead of um, maybe looking at what's at the distance from the schools, you actually do measurements at the schools. And that would be something that you could be do predictive modeling. You can actually do on-site testing. I will tell you the predictive modeling will always be worse because when we come out on site and we do an on-site study, the site isn't going to be operating at 100% duty cycle. It might operate a little bit higher than normal during rush hour, depending on the traffic flow, but it's not going to be operating at 100% duty cycle. So I just wanted to leave you with that. Um, I wanted to make sure that you understood the, the work that we did. Um, here, uh, it was very thorough. If you had another company come in, they would come up with very, very similar results. Um, we're professional engineers. We got paid $450 to do that report. Uh, we wouldn't stake the, our pro professional reputation and the work that we do for other communities. On behalf of communities, we work for the NFL. We work with NBA teams. Um, you know, we, we do this every day for a living. And uh, I will tell you that this is my third trip to uh, 
Williamson County. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You have a beautiful community, and I'll probably bring my wife back. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Anyone else wishing to speak to the public hearing? Yes, sir. Give us your name and the town you reside in. My name is Timothy Johnson. I reside in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I work for AT&T. I'm the director of the team that uh, designs and optimizes the wireless network for the entire state of Tennessee. I, I spoke in the last meeting. I'm going to be very brief today. I, I just want to do an update based on going back and looking at our plans and comparing to what this ordinance would, uh, would do. Uh, first of all, in my professional opinion, the, the wireless coverage is underbuilt in Williamson County as compared to other Middle Tennessee counties. As I mentioned last time, um, we do have a multi-year coverage improvement plan. It calls for substantial investment of capital. Uh, so since the time of the last meeting, we've gone back and taken a look at the projects in that plan very specifically in terms of the restrictions of this uh, proposed ordinance um, in terms of the 1,500 foot setback specifically. So when we apply that rule to our current plan and the specific projects in there, unfortunately, it affects, effectively rules out the entire plan, zeroes it out. So there is, uh, in short term, there's a, a substantial, um, what I would call negative impact to what we might be doing here and what we would like to do here in this county. and. Um, that, that's really all I, all I had to say. Thank you. Anyone else wishing to speak to this public hearing? Seeing none, I will close this public hearing. The public hearing is now closed. We will now read the resolution, resolution number 2242, resolution to amend the zoning ordinance text as it relates to telecommunications towers. Uh, proper motion made by Commissioner Mary Smith, seconded by Commissioner Jeff Graves. Regional Planning Commission was seven, four, one against as amended. Uh, explanation please, Commissioner Graves. I'm gonna defer to uh, Commissioner Clifford uh, for an explanation on this from the Planning Commission. I would actually like to ask uh, Council Christy Ransom to come up and explain the background, mention the Planning Commission, and then I, I, I would then like to share some of the feedback from the Planning Commission for your consideration here. And uh, plus a new map that um, got today. Hmm. I can see it, but you can't. It's a secret. Actually, you all have seen most of this. There's only one new map that you haven't received um, by email, and I'll get that get to that in a minute. Um, just briefly, because we've already had a work session on this, but as you know, um, some of you all have been hearing from your constituents about concerns about a cell tower. Uh, some of you approached me to draft an amendment to the zoning ordinance. Um, to address uh, notice provisions and also the setback. As you all know, the zoning ordinance section on telecom was completely rewritten in October of 2022, <laughs> effective January 1 of 2023, to address not only the macro towers, the tall towers, but also the small cells. Um, 
what you have before you, before you tonight is an amendment, it's on the screen, that proposes um, new notice provision when a tower is proposed, this is for the macro towers, um, that requires the um, cell tower applicant to send a letter to the adjacent property owners of the property where the tower is proposed with information about their application. Um, the property, the tower type, the height, um, how many carriers it's gonna have, et cetera. And then when they make application for their tower, they have to provide proof that that notice was provided um, and to whom it went. And so that, that's one of the proposals to add to the zoning ordinance before you. The other part of this um, is the setback that we've talked about so much. Um, the way it's drafted right now, it would require a 1500 foot setback from school buildings where children are being educated essentially. And like I told you before, the reason I chose that language is because we have some school buildings that are decommissioned from schools but are used for other things. Um, so I didn't wanna just completely wipe out every county property um, from availability. And then the other is from residential dwellings. Um, and I will just briefly remind you that um, it's not that Williamson County doesn't care about our residents or our children. It's that we are preempted significantly in our authority by the federal government, essentially, and the state government. Um, and local governments are preempted in a lot of ways. There's a lot of regulations we can't do on like alcoholic beverages and to a certain extent on uh, utilities. This is just another one. So in the Telecom Act, um, just these two provisions, I wanna remind you and then we're gonna look at some maps. Um, no state or local government or instrumentality thereof may regulate the construction or personal wireless facilities on the basis of the environmental effects of RF emissions to the extent that such facilities comply with the FCC's regulations concerning such emissions. The other provision, um, the regulation of the placement, construction, and modification of personal wireless service facilities by any state or local government or instrumentality thereof shall not prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting the provision of personal wireless services. So those are the two things we have to keep in mind when we're adopting regulations of cell towers as a local government. Um, in response to the request that you all made at the work session, uh, Vogue Towers had their engineers prepare maps of the 1500 foot setback as a radius from all the schools. Um, you all received that in an email early last week. I've only put two up here because that was all the schools and some of them are in the city. As you all know, this only applies in the unincorporated county. Now, there may be the circumstance where there's a tower in the city. I mean, there's a tower proposed in the county, but there's a school in the city. It would still have to, that setback would still have to apply, you know, the schools in the city. It's where the tower's being applied for, okay? Um, but like this map is page high and middle and you can see kind of the radius. It's probably larger than what's shown here because it would be measured from the edge of the school building. And I think this is just kind of centrally located. Um, this is one, it says East Elementary School, it's Arrington Elementary School. So that area that's in, in the red would be the area that's prohibited from having a cell tower located there if you apply the 1500 foot setback. The other maps I wanna show you, um, the first two, Thank you to Mike Madison and Aaron Holmes, uh, Community Development, they put these together for me. And then the last one um, was generated today by Sean Cawthorn um, in the RGS, our IT department. So this one is kind of a close-up area of Bethesda. 
this one deals with the 1500 foot setback from the residential dwelling piece. And as you can see, this is a smaller area and we're gonna back out next. There's not a whole lot of area where a cell tower can be located. This is an area around Triune. Again, it's a little further back out. You can see Patterson Road, Horton Highway. So there's a couple of areas, but if you do the 1500 square feet from um, residential dwellings, that's what this looks like. Um, and then this is the one we got today. This is countywide. And so what um, GIS did, and I'm so grateful that they um, put this together for us, the little black dots in the center are the residences, the circles are the 1500 feet. Now they didn't do it in the cities, obviously, because this wouldn't apply there. Um, so everywhere that's kind of hashed out could not have a cell tower. And then another look of that is this with the um, kind of the roadways. And the reason I thought this was important to show you is because a lot of times the roadways are where some of these gaps in coverage are. So you can see that there's a lot of, there's some area that's available, but there's a lot that's not. And so the way this would work based on the standards in the uh, Telecom Act is the Sixth Circuit has interpreted it. Um, if the 1500 square feet setback is passed, um, specifically for residential dwellings is what I'm focusing on in this map. And um, the tower provider can show there's a gap in coverage and they can show that they've looked at other alternatives and the area that would fit to correct this gap in coverage is an area that we prohibited. It could possibly be challenged as um, effectively prohibiting the provision of cell service, which we're not permitted to do under the Federal Telecom Act. So um, it would be difficult for me to defend as it's currently drafted, as it relates to the residential dwellings. So I just want to give you that as your legal counsel when you're deliberating. I do understand there's, it's difficult. Um, I also understand, and I've talked to several of you, there are other things that we can look at. But what you have tonight is what's in front of you. It's just the amendment. And then um, Commissioner Clifford's gonna talk to you, but what the Planning Commission did on Thursday night was they moved to approve it as is with the notice provision and with the 1,500 feet from schools, but they removed the in residential dwelling. <coughs> So it's come to you as a recommendation from them, the seven to one vote with the residential dwelling piece removed. Um, so you all can take action on it as presented or as the planning commission has recommended. If you choose to amend it on the floor to something different than that, you will have to refer it back to the planning commission for their review. So just keep that in mind. And that's all I have, Mr. Chairman. Before I go to questions, uh, Commissioner Clifford, did you want to speak now or? Sure, I can briefly if you Go ahead. Sure, go ahead. So I'll, I'll double that shout out to the GIS team. That is no small feat to pull that together. So, uh, Mayor, thank you for the resources to get that done. Um, Planning Commission talked about this considerably. They had uh, appreciation for telecommunications in Williamson County, uh, appreciation for the need for more. Uh, there was a commissioner from Bethesda who said service is just horrible out there and that they actually needed more. Um, there were concerns from a real estate perspective, uh, community aesthetics and health uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Um, we talked through those things and ultimately the planning commission did recommend 
that residences be removed. Um, there was a motion to decrease 1,500 feet to 500 feet that failed at the Planning Commission, and then the removal of residences did move forward and passed. So, um, Chairman, I don't know if you wanted to field some questions, or I can go ahead and make a motion to amend to reflect the Planning Commission and then open it up for questions. I see Council nodding his head over there if you'd like me to go ahead and do that. And make a motion at any time. I will make a motion to amend Section E, uh, 11.06A13, to remove, quote, any residential dwelling or, end quote. Motion has been made and a second from Commissioner Graves. Again, that motion to remove the residential aspect of this resolution. Uh, I'll now open the floor to any questions concerning the amendment only. And I see a question from Commissioner Tunnicliffe. Just saying I have to recuse myself due to my employers. Noted. Uh, now I have a com uh, question from Commissioner Mason. Is Mason before yeah. Lawrence? Okay, yeah, Commissioner Mason. Herbert. Commissioner Herbert then. <laughs> this my concern is you know, we live in a very populated county now, and the land is extremely expensive. And you did the map where there was allowable spaces that, I mean, is there anywhere that's not in a residence? I mean, I saw well, like where I live, and it had it open, but I know there's houses all through there. And I guess that's my concern. There's no, I, is everybody going to do like me and have to go back to a landline? I mean, if we cannot have cell towers, what's the... That's my concern. I mean, if we can't build more, I understand, not by school, but if we can't build more cell towers, does that mean we, none of us will have cell service hardly or sketchy like I've got now? <laughs> Possibly. Okay. It, my question is, have you heard if any of these that subjected it to being from the school, objecting to it being next to residences. They object it being to a school. Are they also objecting it to being doing residences? Have you heard that? Yes. Yes. I mean, that, yes, there are concerns about um, the safety aspect, the aesthetics, having to look at one, um, the effect on the property values. Um, so, as I said, I think there are some things that we can look at in relation to that, um, but that's not what what we have right now for the residential dwellings, in my opinion, is too broad. Um, but I think there are some other things that we can consider. But the other consideration is we cannot regulate based on RF. We cannot. Well, and my concern, could we end up in a lawsuit over this? Is it possible? My considered opinion is that I would not be comfortable with the residential dwelling piece. I thank you. Mason? Thank you. I have a question and then a comment. Christy, I wanted to make sure I understood. When it says any school or educational facility building where children are present for educational purposes, is that defined somewhere in the zoning ordinance? Because I'm thinking of private schools, home schools, uh, any daycare facilities that have pre-K. Facility is defined, and so it would be 
public or private, but I don't believe it would extend to home schools or daycares. Okay, so we're talking about private and public schools. So as a one of the commissioners that signed on to the original resolution, I do want to say that I do support the amendment because the thing that I am concerned about is when you look at the FCC guidelines is that once you go into the 1,500 square feet with the residences, I, I am concerned that we are potentially running afoul of the requirement that we cannot limit or prevent cellular service. Also, we've heard from multiple people with studies that RF is dangerous. We've heard from others who say it's not dangerous. So I think at this point moving forward, any discussion the committee has that that is a moot point that we do not need to be talking about RF emissions because number one, you cannot base a decision on RF emissions. And we've heard dueling viewpoints. So from this point forward, I would urge the committee that that not be a topic of any discussion as to why we would make this type of decision. But I do think for aesthetic reasons, for reasons of really aesthetic reasons, that we look at the setback at the schools. And so I do support the amendment for that reason. Thank you. Commissioner Lawrence. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I'd like to thank the mayor for calling the special session because that was very informative. We had a few weeks ago that many of us attended. And one of the things we learned in there from the presentation that Dr. Chamberlain gave us, um, if you looked at the packet that was sent you, was that there are a number of communities who have established these types of setbacks around schools. And some of them have used the 1500 foot boundary um, around schools and apparently they've not been challenged by the FCC as far as, far as um, from what we heard. So um, what we're doing tonight would not be, we, we wouldn't be the only county in America doing this. Apparently there's a lot of municipalities that have set these kind of standards and um, you know, whether it is or isn't um, a, a real danger, uh, that that is a matter of debate, as Commissioner Mason said, but overwhelmingly, our parents don't want it. Uh, that's what we've heard loud and clear. And uh, so I, I would support this resolution with the amendment. Mr. Sturgeon. Thank you, Chairman. Um, you know, I am concerned about uh, residences. I mean, it's almost like theft. Your house is worth a million dollars. They put in a tower. Now it's worth 800,000. I mean, that's not really protecting our residents. So my question, Christy, is, is it possible if we were to keep residentials in there, it would force the companies to prove that um, they have to have a tower somewhere and that there would be an appeals process where we could at that point go, okay, we need the service, you're right. You have to have a tower somewhere here. There's no alternatives. We grant the appeal. I think that's something that we could look into writing. That's not really how it's set up now. Um, if you had the 1500 feet from the residential dwellings and we turn them down, could they appeal it to the Board of Zoning Appeals? Yes, um, but it would still be a trip to federal district court as a potential violation of the Telecom Act. Now, if we wanted to look at some aesthetic 
based regulations, we could certainly do that. Um, but that's, that's, it's not exactly set up that way now. And I understand your point about the reduced property values. That's certainly a legitimate concern that you all can look at addressing. Um, but that's not what we've been focused on in this particular legislative history. Resolution that was written differently, that perhaps then we could do it the way I just suggested? Not exactly like that, but I'm saying I would like the opportunity to re research that. The, the important thing is to find out what the policies are that you all are interested in addressing, and then let me work with you to find a way to possibly do that within the, the boundaries of our authority. Commissioner Mary Smith. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much, Christy. I know you've put a lot of work into this, and I know you and I have gone back and forth, and I know you've taken lots of phone calls. So I just really appreciate all the time and effort you've put into this, uh, putting this resolution together. And to the Planning Commission, um, I did listen to the meeting I was able to attend, but I did appreciate just the thoughtfulness that uh, the Planning Commission put into um, this resolution and the amendment. Um, I did want to make one thing uh, clear. Um, with regards to the challenge, because uh, I think it was brought up at the work session. So in the event that the FCC should bring a challenge or the telecom company should bring a challenge, there's really no damages that are actually awarded. The only thing that would happen is that they would actually be able to put their tower in that location. Is that correct? Not exactly. First of all, the FCC is not going to be the one that would challenge it. It would be where a tower provider or a carrier would seek a permit, we would deny it, and they would challenge that. There is some opportunity to challenge it in federal district court, um, especially if it comes out of a zoning action. And I've seen where they've claimed um, some attorney's fees through the Equal Access to Justice Act, which is a Tennessee state statute. Um, and so there's a cap on the attorney's fees, but there is the, uh, the ability for them to possibly get some of their attorney's fees back um, if they're successful in that type of action. I mean, it depends on how the action is filed, but that's, that's out there. Um, but it's on them to prove that that location is the only one available. For not them. the only one, but the, there's the evaluation in the Sixth Circuit that it's it fills their their coverage gap, and it's it's kind of the least intrusive means. Is not exactly the right phrase of being able to do so. Um, so we would have to have regulations in place to justify that denial. Um, Substantial. <laughs> There, there would be kind of a burden of proof on them to come and there's, say. Yes, there's always, I mean, there's a burden of proof on, on us to deny it first. And then it would be challenged whether we met that burden in making our decision. The other thing the Telecom Act requires is you can't just turn it down. You have to turn it down. You have to turn it down in writing and to be real specific about why. Because it has to go to court and they have to be able to weigh, just like a lot of other zoning decisions. It's just that there's a slightly higher heightened scrutiny when you get there. So. Um, thank you. And um, I, I, before I forget too, I do appreciate the parents. I can't tell you how much you I've learned over the last few <laughs> months. Um, and I can't believe it's been five months. It's been five months now um, to get to this point right here. So I appreciate all the parents and all the time they put into contacting us and letting us know about their concerns. Um, so while I'm disappointed that we are moving the residential from this. I do understand. Um, I have seen the maps, and I can see that it is a challenge to try and bring the cell coverage to some of their more rural areas. So I would support the amendment um, just because I don't want to see the school setback go any further. I'd like to get that done as soon as we can. 
Uh, I also do want to commit to uh, looking at ways to improve our policies because I do understand that while 5G is now the latest technology, it's not our only option. There is fiber, and we need to be carefully considering um, all these options based on the ever-changing technology and the commu communication needs of our community. So uh, I do support the amendment, um, but I will look for ways to make sure we have individual choice in these types of decisions. Questions now and comments are on the amendment. Uh, Commissioner Sanford on the amendment. No. <laughs> you don't have a comment or question on the amendment? Okay. Any other comments or questions on the amendment? Uh, Commissioner Mason. I just have more a procedure question. We skipped right to approving the amendment. Do we need to approve the motion first and then move to amend? No? no. Okay. But it never got on the floor by there motion. There was a motion and second made for the resolution, I believe, before the amendment. Was there? Yeah. Okay, then I missed that. Sorry, Graves I just wanted and, to uh, check. Commissioner Clifford and Commissioner that Graves. That was on the amendment. So, Follow up, Commissioner Mason, or? No, thank you. Okay. Any other questions or comments on the amendment? Seeing none, if we're ready to vote, is the amendment loaded? I didn't hear what she said. Yes. It is, okay. Uh, if you're in favor of the amendment to remove the residential portion of the resolution, signify by pressing your yes button. If you're opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 21 yes, two no, one abstain. Amendment passes. Now we're back to the resolution as amended. Um, any questions or comments on the resolution as amended? Seeing none, if we're ready to vote, if you're in favor of the resolution as amended, signify by pressing your yes button. We already had the motions made. If you're in favor of the resolution as amended, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 23 yes, one abstain. Resolution passes. On to appropriations. Yes. What? I think you moved the others up. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm sorry. We're going to move up. Um, which one was that? We're going to read. So we're moving up resolution 2249. That's a resolution appropriating and amending the 23-24 election commission budget by $100,000 for consulting fees for a feasibility study for hand-marked paper ballots. Revenues to come from unappropriated county general funds. Proper motion made by Commissioner Chas Morton, seconded by Commissioner Mary Smith. The election commission was 3-4-1 against with one abstention. Budget committee was 5-4-0 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Chas Morton. Uh, yes, this is uh, a request from the Election Commission to uh, fund $100,000 for the feasibility study that we discussed several months ago. I believe we have Chairman Jonathan Duda and also Chad Gray. I saw we're here that can help address uh, sort of the issues that went into this. And so I would invite them to further explain where we are. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, Chair. Um, 
In June, the Williamson County Commission tasked us with completing a feasibility study to explore providing hand-marked paper ballots uh, as a voting option for Williamson County elections. Since that time, we've developed a scope of work. We have published uh, two separate rounds of solicited sealed proposals. Um, and at this time, we have selected a vendor to complete the study. Um, we have provided and brought to you what you have requested at this point. Um, the organization, I understand there's concerns about the organization, how we selected them. Uh, this is an organization of professional election administrators with experience, and I should say vast experience, in implementing operational changes in election administration and is precisely the type of experience that we were seeking. Um, this group, the elections group, has experience working with a variety of organizations across the political spectrum. Uh, we discussed this at our February 1st Williamson County Election Commission meeting. Uh, this is a private company that works for its customers, and their mission is to advance the election administration profession, not to influence political views. Um, election administration and its nature must be unbiased, which includes working with bipartisan organizations, and we have found that the election group has uh, met that standard. If we are going to continue to to, to look at bringing hand-marked paper ballots as an option to Williamson County voters. We must understand all of the impacts um, and have a plan in place to implement the changes that will be required. We're not equipped, the Williamson County Election Commission is, is not equipped to complete such an uh, operational assessment and implementation plan like this. Uh, we remain committed to completing this study. Um, and um, we believe this study is necessary. That's why we brought it to you. So those, that's an introduction. Okay. I've uh, got a first question from Commissioner Greg Lawrence. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to make a motion that we defer this, this amendment till March. Three reasons. Um, basically, number one, the cost of this thing is doubled. Um, so I want to explore that a little bit. Um, the fact that we only got one bid, that concerns me. Um, maybe there's a good reason that there's not enough players out there to do that, but that concerns me. And then we, you know, most of us got hit with, with a lot of emails in the last few days, the last week, uh, starting maybe the end of last week, uh, concerns about the contractor. Personally, I haven't had a lot of time to look into that. And um, so I would... I would like more time to study the issue before before I vote on it. And that's that's why I would like to motion to defer this tonight. We have a motion to defer. Do I hear a second? I'll second. Uh, second from Commissioner Sturgeon. Uh, Any questions on the motion to defer? I see a question from Commissioner Mary Smith. Is this on the deferment? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I just, I'll, I'll support the deferment because one of the things that I would be interested in in deferring is if we actually had consulted the other 19 counties that do handmark paper ballots and understanding if they would be able to work with us. Because I would like to save the money. I really would if we can. Um, this is doubled in price, and I think that's, that's one factor. 
Uh, and with regards to the vendor, I, I don't know if you're aware, but there's actually a House bill. It's actually already gone through the Senate, um, but it's currently being proposed at general session uh, to actually um, require more stringent accountability and transparency of third-party vendors that want to work with our local elections offices, and they actually need to be approved by the Secretary of State. So I would actually like to see where that legislation goes and how that might impact this vendor specifically, and if this vendor would actually end up being approved at the state level. So I would support the deferment. Any other questions on the motion to defer? Uh, Commissioner Ricky Jones. Just a quick question. Would there be any elections that would be impacted by this deferral? No, there would not be. other questions related to the deferral? Seeing none, if it's loaded and we're ready to vote, yes. if you are in favor of deferring this resolution to, and the deferral was to March, correct? Yes. Okay. If you're in favor of deferring this resolution to March, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 18 yes, 6 no. Passes. We are now going to read, there's two resolutions, resolution 15 and 16 that are sort of tied together, depending on how we vote on 15 might make resolution 16 moot. Uh, resolution 15, 2 resolution to reject the Williamson County Growth Plan as recommended by the Williamson County Growth Plan Coordinating Committee. Um, no committee saw this. Explanation, please, Commissioner Herbert. We've been working on the urban growth plan for like starting on three years, and it's been a lot of work, a lot of work. But they approved, the Urban Growth Committee plan approved this uh, growth plan, but then the town of Thompson Station has agreed to omit some property that the landowners has requested and they're supposed to vote on that tomorrow night so I'm asking you to reject the one we have now so they can take out those properties and I do want to thank uh, the town of Thompson Station Alderman and Mayor Stover for working with the citizens and property owners to to honor their request to be omitted from their urban growth boundaries that has been a real great thing and is because we've, it's been a hard fight with our group of people, and I'm really proud of them. But I hope you can vote to reject this so we can have it exactly what the landowners want. And the, the town is happy, and the landowners are happy. Thank you. I have a question from Commissioner Hayes. Comment. Um, I want to agree with a lot of what Judy just said. Um, I'm very proud that, you know, Brian took a step back. I had a long conversation with him, and, and I'm glad he took a step back to take another look at this. I would also encourage everyone to vote no. We have an incomplete plan. There's a lot more that needs to be revised. This is not a final plan, um, and we need to respect these landowners. Look at all the yellow shirts in this room. These people are serious, and I agree. I mean, I don't live far from where the UGB was reaching out and and I have a business as well. So this affects me not as many, not as closely as it does them, but I, I think we need to be responsible and really look at uh, making sure these plans are everything is in order before we vote on a plan that um, is just not complete in my mind. Thank you. 
I have to apologize before we move on to the next question. I failed to get a motion in a second. So if I may get someone to press the motion in the second, I've got a proper motion now made by Commissioner Mary Smith, seconded by Commissioner Sean Aiello. And my next question is from Commissioner Sean Aiello, which I predict might have something to do with my failure to ask for a motion, but I could be wrong. You're, you're wrong. Uh, I'm not going to blame you on this one. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so I want to thank the citizens that showed up in opposition of the growth plan resolution, especially those in the really hard to see yellow shirts. Uh, really made a point. I'm in agreement with the valid concerns you all have raised uh, concerning the Thompson Station growth boundary impact, and I urge uh, my fellow commissioners to reject this current growth plan at this time. Question or comment now from Commissioner Lawrence. All right, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I would like to echo Commissioner Herbert's uh, statements. This, this is this process has been going on for over two years now, and I want to thank the mayor for initiating this and um, being very patient uh, through the whole process. It's really been a long, arduous uh, process to get to where we are tonight. And also, I want to thank Commissioner Herbert and Commissioner Morton, who served on the committee, because they put in a lot of time as well. And what I find interesting tonight is one of you are bringing a, a, a amendment to ratify this uh, vote tonight, and the other one is bringing an amendment to reject it. So um, I'm kind of wondering if maybe you guys can shed some light on why you're doing that. And also, um, uh, somebody mentioned earlier that Spring Hill and Nolensville have uh, have already rejected this. Um, so I'd like to maybe hear from if some of the commissioners in those areas are hearing from their constituents um, about why they rejected this um, as well. I think your question is probably best directed to Christy Ransom. So, first of all, the reason you have two is that's my fault. <laughs> because... <laughs> You have to either ratify or reject it um, before March 20th. And so rather than bringing something to ratify that you might reject and have to come back in March and say the reasons why, I just kind of played the odds and put both <laughs> requested that both of them be in here. Um, as far as what has happened um, before, um, Spring Hill has taken action. They rejected it. Um, as you may recall, in this current plan, as it's recommended from the coordinating committee, Spring Hill doesn't have a UGB on the Williamson County side. Um, so they have rejected it. In their rejection resolution, they have a map that they, they've attached that they would like the coordinating committee to consider to put back in to their proposed UGB or to put in their proposed UGB. Um, Nolensville has taken action. They approved the plan, but they deferred action on the interlocal agreement because, as you know, it's a combined... <coughs> They'll take up the interlocal agreement at their meeting um, the first week of March. Um, Brentwood just approved it unanimously. My friend texted me because it's tonight. Thompson Station is tomorrow night, Fairview's Thursday, and then Franklin is uh, toward the end of the month. So everyone has to take action, or if they don't take action at all, it's deemed um, auto-ratified uh, if it's after that March 20th date. So that's why that, um, that date is important. And then after everyone acts, all of the cities and the county, the coordinating committee will reconvene and hear the reasons why it was rejected by some of the entities and figure out what to do with it. So just to be clear, Commissioner Lawrence, if we uh, accept uh, Resolution 2-24-15, we will not read uh, or hear uh, Resolution 2-24-16. Uh, next question or comment is from Commissioner Hester. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, 
it's very obvious that we need more services from municipalities. We've got to have traffic, better infrastructure. We've got in so many different levels as far as police, as far as uh, situations with human waste, with drainage, with stormwater. There, there's so many issues that need to be addressed on so many different levels. So just thank you for the opportunity to mention this. Mr. Morton. I appreciate council uh, giving somewhat of an explanation, but I did want to let this body know, and, and particularly the, the citizens and residents who I've, I've been with throughout the, the planning process here. Um, notwithstanding the fact that I am the named sponsor on the next bill, I will be voting to reject the plan. Commissioner Ricky Jones. Yes, I'll also be voting to reject uh, this plan, but a question for Christy. Is there a way that after all this, there's a huge impasse and the state decides all this? Uh, possibly, hopefully not. Um, but the procedure from here is um, all of the cities in the county will act, the coordinating committee will come back together and take those that information and then recommend a revised plan or recommend what they've already recommended. Presumably they'll recommend a revised plan and then it will have to come back out and you all will have to take action to either ratify or reject that and the cities will as well. If it's rejected again, um, then it can go back to the coordinating committee for reconsideration. After that point, at some, any of the municipalities or the county can declare an impasse. You don't have to. So you can go back and forth a couple of times and I think we did it three or four times the first time we did this. But if any of the entities declare an impasse, um, then we go to the state for a mediation first. So it would be a panel of three administrative law judges and they would attempt to mediate amongst the parties to come up with a plan. And then it would go back out for either ratification or rejection. If that's rejected, then a new panel of administrative law judges is appointed and they write our plan for us. So we don't wanna get there. Um, so hopefully an impasse will not be declared. There'll be a way for everyone to work it all out. But, and all the entities are responsible for paying for the cost of that process. Any other questions or comments related to Resolution 2 2415? Uh, before we vote, I just want to also thank Christy Ransom. You had your work cut out for you this month, and I appreciate all you have done for us this evening and in the weeks that preceded it. If we are ready to vote, if you are in favor of Resolution 2 2415, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Okay. Uh, Mr. Chairman, just to clarify a yes vote means we're rejecting the a yes vote on this means we're rejecting it and we will not move on to resolution 2416 should that rejection pass and yes and uh the author will need to withdraw to 2416 should this pass and i believe he will do that and then we will take a break <laughs> So, all the votes are in. I'll ask one more time. If you wish to change your vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Do I have a motion to remove 
2416 and withdraw. <laughs> Remove uh, 22416. He's just pulling it. It doesn't require a motion or a second. With that, I think we need a much needed break. So we'll take a 10 minute recess, reconvening at, what would that be, 940? 9 All right, if everybody can return to their seats, we'll get through the rest of the evening. I feel like we're losing a few commissioners. Thank you for sharing that. I was like, oh, God. I didn't know that. No, thank God. I was like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't Resolution <laughs> County Commissioner meeting. <laughs> what did he just call it? Resolution committee. It's already been a long night. Yeah. <laughs> Our next resolution is resolution 2243, which was originally supposed to be the first resolution. Someone uh, pointed that out to me earlier. Uh, resolution appropriating and amending the 23-24 Animal Center budget by $1,110. Revenues to come from donations. Proper motion made by Commissioner Graves, seconded by Commissioner Torres. Uh, budget committee was 540 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Hester. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. This is simply a donation. Uh, it's from uh, Morning Point, and they uh, took up a collection and want to donate it to our uh, Animal Center. Any questions or comments? Seeing none, if we're ready to vote, if you're in favor of the resolution, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Resolution 2244, resolution appropriating and amending the 2324 Health Department budget by $1,423.03. Revenues to come from grant funding. Proper motion made by Commissioner Steve Smith, seconded by Commissioner Megan Guffey. Budget committee was 540 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Hester. Thank you. This is a grant in the amount of $1,423.03. That we get periodically, and this money is to go for child's car seats. Questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Resolution 2245, resolution accepting a donation of $2,500 for the purchase of equipment and supplies for the Williamson County Sheriff's Office and appropriating and amending the 2324 Williamson County Sheriff's Office budget by $2,500, revenues to come from donations. Proper motion made by Commissioner Barb Sturgeon, seconded by Commissioner Megan Guffey. The Law Enforcement Committee was 640 against. Budget Committee was 540 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Chas Morton. Uh, this is just to accept a very kind donation of $2,500 from Mr. Glenn Reichert. 
questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Resolution 2-24-6, resolution appropriating and amending the 23-24 library budget by $95,617.03. Revenues to come from donations and contributions. Proper motion made by Commissioner Paul Webb, seconded by Commissioner Ricky Jones. Library board was 5-4-0 against. Budget committee was 5-4-0 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Webb. Uh, Mr. Chair, this is pretty routine. As you can see, the donations from the city or the city of Franklin and the uh, expenditures are listed here on the resolution. Uh, Director of the library, Ms. Jeffers, is here if anyone has a specific question. Any questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Commissioner O'Neill. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Resolution 2-24-7, resolution appropriating funds and amending the 23-24 library budget to include the provision of a part-time children's department position, revenues to come from existing budget. Proper motion made by Commissioner Webb, seconded by Commissioner Mary Smith. Library board was 5-4-0 against. Human resources was 3-4-0 against. Budget committee was 5-4-0 against. Explanation, please. Commissioner Paul Webb. Chairman, I'll give a shout out to our new director. We have uh, revised the children's department in the main library and enhanced the children's function, all the branch libraries, and thus a part-time position is needed. And this money is coming from the existing uh, library uh, budget. Again, Ms. Jeffers is here if anyone has any specific questions. Any questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Resolution 2-24-8, resolution appropriating and amending the 23-24 Election Commission budget by $73,813.69. Revenues to come from municipal reimbursements. Proper motion made by Commissioner Steve Smith, seconded by Commissioner Megan Guffey. Budget committee was 5-4-0 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Chaz Morton. <clears throat> uh, our election commission uh, puts on the municipal elections. This is reimbursements from Nolensville, Franklin, and Brentwood for those elections. Any questions? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Resolution 2-24-13, resolution authorizing the issuance, sale, and payment of the general obligation refunding bonds and providing for the levy of taxes for the payment of debt service on those bonds. Uh, proper motion made by Commissioner Steve Smith, seconded by Commissioner Ricky Jones. Budget committee was 5-4-0 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Morton. Uh, this is the first of two refunding bond issues. These were bonds that were issued in 2014. Uh, we now have the ability to redeem those. Uh, Phoebe talked to us a little bit about the savings between the two. I think it was about $1.1 million. Uh, we've got approval from the Tennessee Comptroller's Office, so I think we have all the explanation. But any further questions can be addressed to Phoebe. Like we have a question from Commissioner Lawrence. Uh, yes, and it's maybe a question for Sam or Phoebe. I don't know, but the uh, I'm just wondering why we waited this long to bring these refunding because interest rates were lower a couple of years ago than they are now. So 
Uh, could we have not have brought this earlier? Or? Is, does it have to be? Okay. All right. I, I may have the answer, but you can come on up and give us the answer. First, so we are not able to come before you until now. So by IRS regulations, we can do 90 days before the call date. Thank you. Any other questions? Commissioner Graves. Uh, just a reminder that uh, on this one and the next one, I'll be abstaining due to my employer. Commissioner Richards. Just, so you got a deal on the interest rates on these? It, it, I thought interest rates were going up. That's... So we haven't gone to market yet. We won't know what that actual interest rate is until we actually go to market later this uh, month. So we are hopeful that this refunding will lower the interest rate from the 3.5 that we currently have. Again, we have to wait till we get to market. Um, we always have the option if the interest rates come in higher and it's not approved, then we can we can just not do the refunding. I, I thought I just thought right around now we were paying around four to four and a half percent. On the ones that we just did, so yes. All right, thank you. Any other questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 23 yes, one abstain. Resolution passes. Resolution 224-14, resolution authorizing the issuance, sale, and payment of county district school refunding bonds of Williamson County and providing for the levy of taxes for the payment of debt services on those bonds. Proper motion made by Commissioner Barb Sturgeon, seconded by Commissioner Steve Smith. Budget committee was 540 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Morton. Uh, these are the same 2014 bonds, so that's why that 10-year call period uh, comes up now. Also, these don't extend the payment periods over it, which explains why the interest rates change a little bit. We've only got a shorter period of time left on these than the 20-year bonds that we've just issued. So hopefully that exp <coughs> helps explain. Questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Commissioner Lawrence. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 23 yes, one abstain. Resolution passes. Resolution 22417, a late filed resolution, resolution appropriating and amending the 2324 Circuit Court Clerk's budget by $50,000, revenues to come from reserve account. Proper motion made by Commissioner Paul Webb, seconded by Commissioner Steve Smith. Budget committee was 540 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Webb. Uh, the Circuit Court clerk's office is going to spend this money on getting new equipment and network upgrades for the circuit clerk's office. Questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're prepared to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Passes. Resolution 22410, resolution authorizing the Williamson County Mayor to execute a grant contract with the State of Tennessee Department of Children's Services concerning State Supplemental Juvenile Court Improvement Funds. Proper motion made by Commissioner Steve Smith, seconded by Commissioner Megan Guffey. Law enforcement was 640 against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Morton. Oh, yes, uh, this is a grant that we've received from the State of Tennessee. We've been receiving it for about 25 years. It uh, goes towards salaries. It's the five-year terms, $9,000 each year. So Judge Guffey couldn't be here for, for this part of it. 
questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Uh, Mr. O'Neill, record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Resolution 2-2411, resolution authorizing the Williamson County Mayor to execute a contract with the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency concerning the 23 mm. Urban Area Security Initiative Grant Program. Proper motion made by Commissioner Steve Smith, seconded by Commissioner Megan Guffey. Law enforcement with 6-4-0 against. Explanation, please. Commissioner Morton. May have to defer to the mayor on this one a little bit. It appears that there's a regional grant and we are accepting our portion of those funds. Questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Final resolution for the evening, resolution 22412, resolution authorizing the Williamson County Mayor to execute a memorandum of understanding with the State of Tennessee, Department of Finance and Administration, Strategic Technology Solution Division. Proper motion made by Commissioner Steve Smith, seconded by Commissioner Megan Guffey. Law enforcement was 5-4, one against. Explanation, please, Commissioner Chas Morton. I'm going to have to defer to Mayor Anderson or law enforcement on this one. This one didn't flow through budget. Um, it does appear it's just a memorandum of understanding allowing uh, Rogers to enter into a contract with them, but it didn't pass through my committee. So Commissioner Sanford may have more to say. Someone here to speak to it. Mr. Sean Cawthron, our IT director. Um, MOU. Gather metrics across the state as far as cybersecurity hygiene, and it also eases our application for grant process in the future. The NCSR is a uh, prerequisite for a Homeland Security grant process, and the state is the keeper of that money. Questions or comments? Seeing none, if you're ready to vote, if you're in favor, signify by pressing your yes button. Any opposed, your no. Anyone wishing to change their vote, please do so at this time. Record the vote, please, Mr. Whitby. 24 yes, zero no. Resolution passes. Any other news or, or items that need to come before the commission? If not, I also always... Oh, uh, Commissioner Hester. I wanted to say that there are Homeland Security buses that are parked at the Ag Center, and those buses are offices being used for uh, by the Department of License Test. They are not for transportation of legal, illegal, or any other way immigrants. Thank you. That Commissioner Hester, Commissioner Clifford. Uh, we had an over-under over here of whether we would go beyond 10 o'clock, and I was wondering if we could discuss that for another six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Herbert. I meant to say this at the beginning of the meeting, but I'm going to say it now. I want to thank all the highway department, the hospital workers, emergency management, where during our snowstorm, I know the highway department, Department worked 12 hours on, 12 hours off, and the hospital had lots of problems getting enough employees and everything, and how much we appreciate their hard work, even though they're not here to hear it. I 
Sure. I want to thank real quick uh, Interim Sheriff Mark Elrod and the Sheriff's deputies who were here all night with us. Thank you for you and your service. And with that, we are adjourned.